This is Cinema Degeneration. That was sent for me. Why behold our hero? Get to the point. I'm weary. Dungeons and dragons, wizards and witches, magic and revenge, and a warrior caught between. The sword and the sorcerer. Break it on. Alrighty, folks, ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration, and this is continuing our Albert Pune Appreciation Month, and we have the one that started it all, his first feature film, we are covering The Sword and the Sorcerer from 1982, and joining me is my co-host and cohort in crime from Without Warning, the podcast here on Cinema Degeneration, my buddy Corey Dawson, how the hell are you? I'm doing great, uh, no amputated legs. You know, amputated like so. If you get in an accident, there won't be three legs. That's the only uh, that that's the only bad part. I still want that mystery on my books. <laughs> Have it on your tombstone. Born with two legs, died with three. Died with three. Question mark. Oh, <laughs> uh, speak, uh, speaking of which, uh, this is wildly off topic, but there's something I always wanted to mention with you. Uh, in Exorcist three. On the tombstone of Damien Karras, it says "entered" huh. at the at the end of it, and I think that that was supposed to say "interred," but it says "entered," and I always thought that it meant that that was them uh, reconciling the possession. But I think oh, it was supposed to say yeah, "entered." Might... In, in, I think it was supposed to say "interred," but I think it says "entered." Yeah, like an "interred" is an interment. Yeah, I, I get it. Uh, yeah, that might have been a, either. Is, a glaring sp- uh, spelling error, or maybe that's just delivered. like the Catholic way. I don't know. I don't know, but sorry. But that that tri- that tripped that off. Well, goddamn it, man! Now we got to do a, a sequel to Deja Vu on Exorcist Three. Have you not done that yet? No, we haven't done an Exorcist movie. Yet. Oh God, you gotta have me around for that. I know I'm not normally the Deja Vu guy, but if you could put me on as a third, since it's Exorcist Three, put me on as a third guy. That's the best one, not to, like, spoil it, you know, for everybody at home that we do the show, but, like, it's my favorite of the Exorcist movies. It uh, is by, so, and, and especially, you know, I didn't know it until just recently, but I guess it was Jeff Dahmer's favorite, too. Oh, no shit. That's right, He constantly yeah. played it for his victims. He constantly played it. You want to watch a movie? No, I don't want to watch a movie with you, Jeff. No, no, I don't. But, but, but it's George C. Scott, and they're like, no, nah, but it's Brad Dourif. Well... Uh, yeah, Brad Dorf, a motherfucker just might, motherfucker just might maybe, watch that. Maybe Scott Wilson was the one that threw him over. I don't know. <laughs> it was the but one that threw him down is, the steps. But um, bum. Oh God, I can't <laughs> even. That that's, that that step. Every time I look at that staircase, even the stuntman, I'll be like, oh my God. I feel like man, I'm, my ankle just rolled just looking at it. 
Oh, talk about ankle roll. I was watching Saw 3 last night for the first time in a long time. That Donnie Wahlberg escape. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Jesus. You can cut somebody's arm off. You can tear their eyeball out. It's the ankles for me. That does me in every time. It does me in every time I watch uh, the hobbling scene in Misery. Right. And on also, in a kind of another way, like Pet Cemetery, the oh, ankle trauma. Oh, poor Fred Gwynn. <laughs> I can see it now. We just do it. We do just do a show on like ankle trauma. We just go over <laughs> every movie that's had ankle trauma. But all I can say about, or not all I can say, but one of the first things I can say is, long live Richard Mole. Yeah, um, he. It's the way to enter a fucking movie is enter it with Richard Lynch and Richard Mole. Like how almost uh, sort of like de- evil speak. It almost yeah. seems like Richard Mall always opens, and it's like fucking yes. But yeah, when you have Richard, those two dicks in one room, it's just fantastic, right? That's fucking great, and I love the poster art for this. I have a poster yeah. for it, an original theatrical poster for it. It is not framed in any way, but uh, I have it in the box, and it is beautiful. That is such beautiful oh, man, that's artwork. Great. I mean, especially since I remember when I was a kid. When I down to when I went down to the Hallowed Halls, uh, the sacred home video world, on uh, was that second? I think it was Second Street in Aurora, Indiana. Um, I always got uh, Sword and the Sorcerer mixed up with Deathstalker and uh, and Dragon Slayer. Well, yeah, there was a lot of those, you know, sword and no pun intended, sword and sorcery, you know, shenanigan type movies all the time in like in the early 80s i think it was in the wake of conan coming out and making a ton of bank that you know everybody was making one they made like what four death stalker movies and Dra- you know, dragon oh my God, slayer something like that. but you know sort of the sorcerer came around around you know i think 82 was like a big year for for all this stuff yeah it was a it was 81 to 82 was a big year for that and is so was uh for slasher movies i mean with the boom, slasher boom so yeah bless what a time to be alive yeah yeah i was very young i was only like i'm gonna age myself here i was only about seven years old six seven years old when it happened but i remember it <laughs> but that so means uh, Coscarelli, uh, sorry no no go, go ahead go ahead i was gonna say coscarelli is kind of at the top of both of those pyramids like he's he's kind of like the venn diagram where he had phantasm and he had Beastmaster. like he was at the center of the vortex right there uh coscarelli the only way he could, the only way he could, the only way that he could sort of like beat the cycle would be like if somehow he also had a rom-com and a spy thriller like that would have been it all right there right <laughs> all he would have needed for to complete his 80 80s trifecta would have been a, a buddy cop film Imagine, imagine him if he behind would, the helm like, with something like Lethal Weapon. I mean, he didn't he didn't direct Real Men, did he? How fantastic would that have been? <laughs> because uh, I, I think love Real Men. like an Alan Smithy. No, I, no, no. I love Real Men. I just never knew who directed it. I always figured it was like an Alan Smithy thing. Yeah, probably was. That movie was uh, that was fucking crazy because you got to hand it to the UFOs, not UFOs, but UFOs. I always planned uh, that uh, if. If kind of like the the cabal of 
lunatic film buffs that is sort of like that I'm in the orbit of. If I ever actually got a my own repertory theater in motion, Real Men would be like a midnight movie, like every third Thursday of the month or something. I would I would be bringing it back in a big way. It actually says here that the director of uh, Real Men also directed. Let's see here. Oh, he only directed. Only thing he ever directed was Real Men. It was a uh, man, man named Dennis Feldman who actually wrote. Uh, Species, Golden Child, and Just One of the Guys. So what? Kind of, okay, yeah. you, you know what? That makes a hell of a lot of sense now, if you really think about it. That makes a hell of a lot of sense. Yeah. And he co-produced gold- Dead, Dead Again, which is really wow. odd. That's <laughs> very interesting. I would have thought that uh, Brahma would have been the whole power behind that. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, tangential. I am bad for that. Uh, I'm, I'm as bad for it too. Sometimes I forget what show we're on. I'm like, this ain't without warning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, but folks, uh, to get back on track here, Corey and I like to digress, but it's our show so we can do whatever the hell we want. So, you know, kind of deal with it. <laughs> but uh, we are here to celebrate the, the life and career of the late, great uh, Albert Pune. He's one of my, my favorite filmmakers. He's directed over 50 films. It started out with this one, though. Uh, Sword and the Sorcerer from 1982. I will give the quick IMDb synopsis, and, you know, then we can go right off into it. We'll save the show up for Exorcist 3 and Real Men for another day. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Sword and the Sorcerer 1982 is as follows. A mercenary with a three-bladed sword rediscovers his royal heritage's <clears throat> royal heritage, dangerous future when he is recruited to help a princess foil the designs of a brutal tyrant and a powerful sorcerer in conquering a land. And if that doesn't sound convoluted, well, you ain't heard nothing yet, because this movie is—I wouldn't say convoluted. That's probably the wrong word, but it's—it's it's pretty overly complicated for one of these like you know, sword and sorcery kind of movies. But I think that not only, I think that you could have an overcomplicated plot, but this is overcomplicated and illogical. Yeah, because let's face it, now we don't have to talk about this in a linear fashion if we don't want to, because I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because like, okay, Talon, you know, he he's the, you know, the, 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 I'm using air quotes here that you can't see. He's very loosely the hero of this movie, but it's really uh, Micah who ends up being becoming the king and inheriting the the throne. And when it really shouldn't, I, I don't get it. I don't know how, how Lord Micah, like he I mean, I know his father worked for the king was part of the story, but like shouldn't Talon been the one that uh, inherited the throne? I'm, I'm am I wrong? Here? I think that uh, I think that. In, in sort of like the parlance of 21st century, I think that this was uh, subverting expectations because not only did Talon, because that's kind of wrong, the little synopsis is, is sort of wrong. Talon didn't discover that he was the heir. He knew the whole time. Yeah. But he, he had been wenching and killing throughout the lands for so long that he did not want to change his station. He wanted to stay... Um, that gigantic laundry list that they called him, which was basically 
the subtitle of every Conan reissued Droberty Howard book there was. <laughs> right. like, Freebooter, Rogue, General. It's like, okay, it, it's Conan. Warrior. But it's another thing. Warrior. But it's funny because it's, <laughs> it's like Tavis is the guy who's the son who's out there like kicking ass and taking names like the second in command. He comes back all melted and crazy with a white eye that like shines in the thunder which, or lightning that I thought was cool. But then <laughs> right. Talon, so you you get the guy who sounds like a place setting, Tavis, who goes out being the warrior. And then you have Talon, which is the claw of a hawk. And that's the guy who's at home going, excuse me, father, can I have some more porridge? It's like, what the fuck? But then, you know, he doesn't, uh, so it makes you wonder if he ever wanted that life because he's supposed to come back and save his mom. He does not save his mom. He completely watches her get killed. Um, yeah, watch her get beheaded also when they, right in front of him. I mean, from the distance he was at, he probably could have done something because, you know, let us not forget the most infamous part of this film is the triple bladed sword that they sort of like mentioned flippantly in the synopsis. No, folks, this is not just a triple-bladed sword. This is a triple-sandwich sword that can right. fire missile blades that somehow magically replenish themselves. He never goes back to get a damn blade, ever. He never goes back to get a replacement blade. But then at the end, you find out that it actually also has a blade hidden within the middle blade. So technically, <laughs> the entire time, this, this three-bladed sword was a four-bladed sword because it had a, like a mini katana hidden in the handle. Like quad caliber? <laughs> quad, uh, quad caliber. But I'm thumb. pointing that now. So uh, anyone who uses that from now on is going to have to cite uh, Cinema Degeneration uh, if ever they say quad caliber. If they no. say quad caliber, they're going to like owe us 75 cents every time they say it. <laughs> and we'll make sure, like, we'll make sure. Uh, okay, never mind. Yeah, I was going to go into a thing where we, like, sent a letter to a guy that stuttered, but still, you know, he overcame it and, and had his own show. And that way it would just prove we would get, like, 75 cents every second. <laughs> that, that's sort of like the low-hanging fruit of Michael J. Fox jokes, which, did you know that Michael J. Fox had been in the running to be Talon? He what? No, you're you're, you're setting me up. You're setting me up for something. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know it was shaky, but uh, 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 you mother. Oh, <laughs> insult and injury. Fuck it. Oh, that's uh, all right. But I laughed. I laughed. You gotta laugh. Yeah, I never really under. I never quite. I, I never quite understood the um. Hi, I'm Talon, and I have furs. Just sort of hanging across the my shoulders it's not really warming his neck it's not really warming his chest like i never quite understood the furs there it just because it looked cool I somebody so. in, somebody in wardrobe was just like you know it's going to look really cool on this guy a fur coat is this well, like and, uh, and actually sorry go ahead no i was just going to say it was just like when they introduce uh king titus cromwell played by uh richard lynch you know when he has that 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 Fucking that that beard of his. Somebody was just like, you know what would look really cool on this guy? An Amish neck beard.
I have to admit, man, he wears the shit out of it, too. It, it looks good. Richard off. Lynch was perfect. Richard he was Lynch so really angry uh, in this movie. So fucking angry in this movie. He really uh, gave me the idea of, uh, I don't know if we spoke about Hawk the Slayer, but Jack Palance played a guy that was sort of like Titus Cromwell in that. And mm-hmm. there was sort of a, there was kind of a flavor to all these guys. I think that Thulsa Doom and Conan was the only one that sort of like beat that. Because if you look at, I can't remember, it was named like Tor or something and Beastmaster, like the Rip Torn guy. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was mean too. Uh, it seemed like all these guys were mean, but I love, uh, I love him and. Okay, I know we weren't going linear, but I have to mention it real quick. The narration by uh, Simon McCorkendale, who was like easily the British Corbin Burson, like <laughs> flat out. His narration talks about Tomb Island. I think that yeah. this movie is completely, I honestly believe if it didn't have uh, the blade firing sword and a couple of the other like goofy little parts of it. I have to believe that this would have been a lot more beloved than it was because it's got such hallmarks of classic uh, sword and sorcery. I have really, I have always loved it. Um, but Tomb Island, it make it just reminds me that we named things so much better way back. Like now, the closest thing we have to it is like those suburbs, like Whispering Pines and shit. <laughs> That's a that's the closest thing we come to it. Yeah, like uh, where would you rather Island. live? You'd rather live on Tomb Island or rather live in Whispering Pines? It, it's just, I'm telling you, especially since I thought that the narration worked great. I thought everything looked great in this movie, too. Yeah, it, you kind of felt like you were not on, on a set. A lot of these movies of, of this ilk during this time period look like set pieces. This looked like right. it was legit, like, happening in the time period it was happening not like we know like anything from hundreds of thousands of years ago but uh you know this kind of thing you know the sword and swashbuckling not literally swashbuckling but you know sword and sorcery kind of movies it you know it always looks like it's, it's something that was built it doesn't look like a legit like location it's like this looked like legit locations the the, the set pieces oh, were, were just beautiful and dark Oh, yeah. It blew me away because it was um, it gave you the impression that they were using an awful lot of torchlight. It probably couldn't be 100 percent because you would be able to see a damn thing. But I think they used a whole lot because it looked so natural to me. And when they go into um, the titular tomb of Tomb Island and they hit that sort of uh, mausoleum thing, I was getting mixed up with Name of the Rose because I thought that sort of uh, the sides of the little sarcophagus or whatever, the mausoleum mm-hmm. that uh, what we find out to be like the demon sorcerers. Um, I guess you'd say like his essence is in there. I was getting it mixed up because I thought that I was hoping like hell that the faces were going to come alive because I, because in name of the rose, they don't, it's just sort of like the light playing against everything. And it kind of looks like something's happening, but I was hoping like hell that the faces would come alive. I was so pumped because they're I mean, all kind of like sweaty and gross. And 
Yeah, I mean, they're kind of alive, but they don't really, like, do anything. They just kind of blink and moan and ooze sweat from every pore, you know. But I don't know what you would even call it. It's like a wall of souls or something. Exactly. I think that's as good a name as any. I think that's a perfect name. Uh, It's it's sort of like uh, Freddy's Chest, you know. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I have to say, this is kind of where the illogic begins. Because... (laughs) They bring this witch with them who they consistently browbeat and insult while she's there when she could easily curse the fuck out of everybody. Yeah, it and doesn't so, seem, it seems highly illogical that they would ever like insult this woman. But then again, you know, it's unfortunately the way they treated women. But, you know, well, it seems still. to me like it's the way it almost makes me like if I could talk to did Pion co-write it, he said. Yeah, he co-wrote it with uh, two other, I think it was three people, or Tom Karnowski and John V. Stuckmeyer. All three of them worked on the screenplay. Well, I think my first question would be, okay, so are you trying to intimate that Cromwell has such ego power and such, like, power over men, like mankind, that is, that he can look at people that have insane occult powers and threaten them and they listen and they're intimidating by him because the witch is there and this is for everybody the witch is there and they've brought her there to do a specific task and, and she is, does the task yeah she she does her uh her mojo and gets is it zorsha zusha zusha because like this is not a body that's being resurrected like it's coming out of this soup of essence she completely like rebuilds him yeah like from nothing it's it's it almost kind of reminds me sort of like a a less gross version of like the resurrection of frank from hellraiser you know you're not seeing like you're not seeing organs reform and the skeleton reform but you're seeing him just reform out of this muck that looks like just molten lava or, or Great mu- cool. mu- yeah it's very cool looking and like Zushi is is a very cool looking fucking formidable fucking bad guy he he and also cool. i mean when you're dealing with richard mall and he's sort of like the base of your what you're doing he's yeah. already freaking massive so like you have that to work from all those guys must have loved because he's sort of like, he's sort of in the Perlman vein where like everybody loves putting appliances on him because he's like huge. Right, so, right. So I guess it could be argued. It's like, okay, it kind of makes you wonder which one's more powerful because the witch is able to produce him. So does that make her more powerful than him? Because then she becomes his servant. But then comes sort of like, the that's where the illogic comes in because Cromwell is kind of like, we need you to win. And then Zusha's like, but and then I'll get what I want, which I'm not so sure you ever find out what that is initially. I think they have both wanted the same thing. I think uh, Cromwell and, and Zusha both wanted to rule the world. Like, literally, that was like their their main thing. It was like, we want to rule the kingdom. So I guess another question is, was he defeated and disseminated like Imhotep? 
and then had to be no. resurrected that way? Like, had he lived previously? Like, what's going on? Because I then, think he did. I think he definitely did because there there was some sort of, you know, of an essence essence there that they they knew what they were bringing forth. They knew who they were conjuring. Yeah, that's the way it I makes me it. wonder. It makes me wonder because she's able to conjure him, and then. <laughs> the second in command, which I don't think that guy shows up again, but he's with, uh, at least in this era, he's with Cromwell. He's like, how do we know that you actually have these powers of which you speak so highly? And then he's like, well, you, uh, you questioning me? You questioning mm -hmm. me? Me? Yeah. And he starts fucking around with that gigantic, quivering... gigantic hand and like the 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 claws start to glow you're right and then i call the it nameless e witch e fingers right and like the nameless witch was I, I was thinking of like calypso the whole time she reminded me of calypso a whole lot mm -hmm. and so he sort of hits calypso from a distance and he, she gets like telekinetically thrown across the room and then she starts quivering and you hear like shit popping and then her uh her chest explodes right, pain right. style and her heart goes flying across the room and he just catches it one-handed and then Cromwell, I mean, he's barely impressed. He's kind of like Right, he made her heart explode from across the room, fly into his hand and he hands it to her and he just you know, he just kind of shrugs it off as if it's no big deal, like, well that wasn't So impressive. he shrugs at her power and he shrugs at Zeus's power and it is, that, to me, the illogic part of the whole thing is like Number one, he has no intimidation by these things that he's bringing to light in order to intimidate and destroy, which is just, that's weird that he does. He figures that he rules like everything he surveys, I guess that's what it is. So yeah, like, even if he this sees guy, it, like, it's his. Right. This guy could debone him just by pointing at him, but for some reason he doesn't have the whatever. And then, and then the battle, because like there are battles that are going on doesn't he dispatch isn't like the final battle hasn't quite happened yet yeah he needed help with defeat defeating the final army of king richard but that's not what i got from that i thought that it was him beating everybody because everybody keeps saying the final conflict but zusha isn't around for the final conflict hmm i don't know it looks like it might be part of the the fact that it was kind of a and as much as I do love the movie, it is kind of a kind of convoluted story. I mean, my God, there's so and there's so many fucking characters to try to keep track of. I, I mean, especially like it, when you think about Richard's children, there are a couple of children just kind of like show up and they're just like dispatched. Right. And one and it's also confusing because, OK, so just quickly, Tavis comes home, who's like the older brother of Talon. And he's dying, so then Richard has he to go like out. He looks like he's got, like, the Black Plague or something. Because I, 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 oh, do, yeah. I do love this part when it's like, bring the leeches. Like, mm, how about, like, we don't bring the leeches, you know? Not yeah, there's no time, Dad. Don't put a leech on my eye. 
<laughs> it's like, oh, you're you got cocaine, you know, you got ghosts in your blood. You should do cocaine about it. <laughs> but he's like, okay. He kind of pulls like a uh, a Duke Leto, or I guess uh, oh, I guess it's uh, uh, Yui from Dune, where he's like, okay, well, I've got the boat ready for you and the kids to get away because I think Richard knew that he was a goner because oh, yeah, like he, he sees it's uh, not only is it like might and like the dark armies, it's also disease. Like this guy has black magic. In fact, um, I was I kind of liked it because Tavis was trying to tell his dad what was going on. And he says, blah, and then he gets interrupted. And I loved it. I think it shows, like, the movies of a different time where they don't have to spell that out for you. Right, I think right. nowadays, nowadays they would have been forced, due to the attention level, to have had someone say black magic. But he goes, blah, and that's all he gets out. And then um, Richard says, you know, make sure you, uh, Ta- Talon, make sure you get your mom to the boat and, and protect her. And yeah, isn't this the point where he gave him the three bladed sword? He gives him the three bladed sword and he must have already been trained in it because on his way or actually, um, I think it was after. So he goes there. He's too late. He sees Richard get killed, beheaded or actually, no, no sorry, not beheaded, stabbed in the spine by the uh, the mobster from the Mac. He was only oh, was he from the Mac. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. say, yeah, that guy was only in it for, like, two minutes. I always get him mixed up with the judge from Ghostbusters 2. They kind of, like, resemble each other. But it was the guy from the Mac. And this huh. is me not having looked at Wikipedia for, for anything else. Nothing. But, um, <laughs> so he does that, like, stab downward into, I think it's, like, down through the top of the neck and the shoulder parts, like, down into your heart and lungs sort of right right yeah yeah and then uh and then the wife comes out which i have to say all honesty that guy did well for his queen because you can tell that she's older she kind of gives you the uh the the thought of like the really well kept like 53 year old woman i thought she was beautiful but you can tell she was gorgeous yeah she was older but she was gorgeous Oh yeah, he he did well. So then she comes out. He did well for a guy who looked like a seventy-year-old Amish guy. I think he looked like the Quaker from Quaker Oats. But <laughs> um, well, with that hairdo, man, Jesus. Oh my God, it it just slays the women. Uh, but um, hey, so then she comes out with two other kids that the I, the girl might have been named, but I'm not sure. Cromwell steals the daughter. And then Henry, the other son, just gets waxed, like trying to jump into the boat. And then uh, I have to say, man, she actually went out much better than Richard did. Yeah, she at least wounded him because he he straight up, uh, you know, he says something about the, you know, he was like, you know, become my queen, you know, give me the, the, you know, give the land to me or what, however he put it. But, you know, she she answers him by stabbing him in the chest, but he... (laughs) He answers her by like beheading her, which is. I think I honestly believe that his line was ad libbed because he goes so soft with it. He's like, "You fool!" 
Like, I think he might have ad-libbed that because you would have thought he would have called her something much harder than that. Right, right. But yeah, then... But we, we missed a part, though. Before leading up to this, Cromwell betrayed and, and tried to kill Zusha. Okay, so like, okay, so yeah. that means that I got the timeline wrong a little bit because I thought this happened after that. So, yeah, so Zusha, uh, he does make... I have to say, there is one thing that sort of helps out when it comes to the logic part, and that's when Cromwell says... That, that Zusha is weak from conjuring. Right, for all the conjuring he's been doing, so it's time to strike. So he walks up, he hobbles up. He does like look like he you, was pretty fucked up. <laughs> yeah, but I'll do, but I'll never understand how you can walk up to the titular sorcerer from the sword and the sorcerer and a blade. Well, not only does a blade do it, but you totally telegraph that you're going to stab the fucking guy. I can't remember his line right now, but it was something like, maybe you'll have a chance to remember that in hell or something like that. I can't remember what it was. I think that but was he pretty totally, much it. <laughs> so he stabs him, and Zusha acts like it's the worst wound that he could have possibly ever have gotten. And then he falls off into a cliff into the Black Sea. And later, when, when Zusha's seen again... He said that it took him like three years to heal. Eight years. It was eight years because it would have been three years that he would have been down there after healing because it was something in the voiceover and the narration. It said that uh, when Talon shows back up, that he had been gone for eleven years. So I did, I deduce that if he had been down there recovering for eight years, it must have been three years since he had fully recovered. But it's incredibly weird. I don't understand, and I don't think it's ever revealed, why in the fuck it took him so long to... Why it took so long. Yeah, they and never it, do explain and it, it. And if there was some kind of, like, little bit of time, why he didn't start planning his revenge, like, it's... It seems weird and convenient to Talon having that much time to grow up, that all right, that stuff right. happened. But the interesting... Uh, one interesting... Um, cameo is and like you said everything's convoluted because there's like double agents triple agents people are betraying other people there's mistaken identity um but the guy that i think has something to do with the rebellion goes to see zusha and he is the computer the first computer from red dwarf the british comedy science fiction oh really was he yeah um and Talon kind of is shown returning, and he's the real Han Solo type. Yeah, like I actually wrote that down in one of my notes. There's a there's a couple of sequences towards the you know the middle and end of this movie where they're totally just. playing up the Han Solo bit, like when he runs up the stairs chasing up one of the guards and then he runs back with eight more guards, to, you know, chasing after him and shit. It's some straight-up Han Solo shit. And I, I, and I also think that that might also be sort of like a callback to Errol Flynn type of stuff, too. Because I think I remember 
a little move almost exactly like that from the Mask of Zorro or the Mark of Zorro, whatever, whichever one the first Antonio was, where he tries to run through one door, those guards there, runs back, runs through that door, guards are there. I think it might just be like a classic swashbuckling type of thing. Well, but there's Talon's a whole lot of like, the whole last third, third act of this movie is straight up uh, Errol Flynn. Absolutely. Except, of course, when there's titties flapping everywhere. Yeah, I never um, saw Errol Flynn fly through a window and land face first in a sea of titties. And no. they are so down for it. Like, he straight up just kisses that first chick like no problem. So I think that he was just like, if I become king, this is going to ruin my, my game, like, forever. <laughs> but so, um, so then 11 years, back, 11 years forward... And then Talon comes back to town with like a glimmer in his eye and a smile on his face. And I, I guess because they go to a tavern and he's completely ignorant of the revolution, right? Yeah, he has because no the bartender's idea. Bartender's like, hey, there are a couple of factions that could use your sword. And there's a little bit of almost like a Last Jedi action happening because it's like, okay, Cromwell is absolute almost absolute ruler but if he's not, not absolute ruler why not why yeah, didn't I, he take why isn't he the ruler of that kingdom i think it was just because he's he seriously didn't want it I, you, something you kind of alluded to earlier is that he was no I, if I say ta- i meant cromwell if i said talent i meant cromwell oh why oh, doesn't oh, oh. why isn't cromwell the absolute ruler <sighs> i guess there's always somebody that's going to contest your title so they make speak. it sound like he doesn't they almost because they say because um is it uh Macchio Macchio oh Mac uh Michelli 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 like the very thinly veiled like Machiavelli type I think he's even wearing like the same tunic as Machiavelli yeah but, and um, like you you know this guy's a fucking bad guy with a fucking bowl cut like that <laughs> you know, like was there was there any ever ever a doubt? Even when the first time you watched this, the they, only the only good there are only two good guys that have a bowl cut like that. One of them is Prince Valiant, and the other one is Prince Adam. Other than that, everybody's evil. But um, so this is kind of where the twisty ass plan comes in. You got. One guy who had been in Masters of the Universe, but I think he's only in there for like a second. I think he's the okay. So all right, Talon's rich King Richard had his trusted advisor, and his trusted advisors, uh, son and daughter, are the ones that people are likening to the throne because of this rebellion. So Micah, Prince Micah. Is sort of like running around in this hood disguise, trying to get all the rabble together for this rebellion. And then it turns out that Elena, am I getting all these people? Yeah. It's Alana okay. or Elena? Alana. Alana somehow, got, this is amazing. She somehow got the map of the secret tunnels of the castle from the concubine chick of cromwell it is amazing to me that that didn't have repercussions well wasn't the the the, was the concubine the the same lady that was elizabeth 
Or so is that, is that the other sister of Talon? That's that what I. I thought that's what I thought. I thought Elizabeth because the little girl runs and gets captured, and she's blonde. So then, and there is Elizabeth, a, there is a little little girl listed in the credits as young Elizabeth. So that's what I because it's not really spelt out for you, but you know what I mean. As I said, this all kind of plays loosey goosey with the the plot here, but that's what I deciphered. So, <laughs> so Alana and Micah are getting the rebellion started tonight and the and Machiavelli is sort of half ass helping them quotation marks and yeah, then he, he's, it he's, is amazing he's how helping quick them. it's amazing how quick the fucking tables turn he walks out and straight up Cromwell walks in like, yeah, like as soon no... as he walks, walks in, like five seconds later, it's just like I'm here, you dirty, like rebellious dogs. It's like, well, fuck, he didn't wait at all. <laughs> so, uh, it's amazing. And then he kind of gives him the side eye as Mike is getting like taken out of the door, and uh, Lana's like, "What do I? What kind of coin do I have to bargain with to gain swords for my hand to?" To rescue my brother. Lo and behold, she's got a vagina. And, right. <laughs> but I have to say, it's I always thought it was very interesting, especially with how much of a like uh, a whore master Talon is. It amazes me that he's like, fine, but my bargain is one night with you to as my payment, but not tonight though. <laughs> At the end of all of this. At the end of all of this, I'll get my night alone my with you. Well, let's face it's amazing. Everybody, everybody in this movie is a horn dog trying to get a piece of Alana. Like, I mean, like Cromwell is fucking. You know, the the two guards are uh, that. You know, the talent. Yeah, you know. They're all talking about the length of daggers and whatnot, plunging the daggers in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I kind of like that part. You know, <laughs> when he's just describing, he's like, "Oh, that's a small threat. That's a very, very small threat." I love it. It's kind and of like Bond-esque a little bit. Did you notice uh, a little cameo by Captain America in here? Reb Brown. That, uh, actually, I was going to um, I was going to ask about that because I have yeah, like the, he had, he had a much bigger Captain part America. in than the final. Oh, you do? Uh, yeah, I, I found. Now, don't get me wrong. Now, I was at a pawn shop and they had like the dual set. For like a dollar. So I was like, all right. I remember this slightly from when I was a kid. And uh, they're a lot of fun. I like them. They're a lot of fun, but they're not good. They're, they're not good. But they're fun. It's, it, you know, it's just a lot, a lot of stuff. Just because it's good doesn't mean it's fun. But just because it's fun doesn't mean it's fucking good either. Yeah, Red Brown, though, man, that guy was solid. So I can see him being used. It seems like. There are a lot of people in the background here and there in this movie. Uh, I'm not so sure how they got there, and I'm not sure 
what the compensation was because they sort of didn't have a whole lot to do and then just sort of disappeared. Like, you know, the fact the fact that you had Red Brown, but you didn't quite really utilize him to the utmost is kind of weird to me. Yeah, I mean, he's basically like a background extra as part of like one of uh, Talon's, you know, group of mercenaries. He's kind of like one of the, you know, the quote unquote Magnificent Seven. And then you even got the guy, uh, I wrote down his name, John Davis Chandler, who played uh, the guard number one with a very, very small threat. He was in mm-hmm. uh, Outlaw Josie Wales. He was in Ride the High Country. He was in Phantasm 3. Whoa. Hell, he was, hell, he was in Ventures and Babysitting, for Christ's sake. You know, I've never seen that film. Oh, <laughs> you never have? I Vincent and Onofrio is Thor, and I still haven't seen it. It's weird. Oh, man, you're missing out. I know. Yeah, he did two of my favorite movies back to back: Carnosaur Two and Phantasm Three. I mean, like, come on! Wow. <laughs> and to yeah. be honest, I was a, I was a big shoehead back in the day. I would have watched Elizabeth Shoe in anything. So I'll still watch her in anything. I guess that they uh, I guess that they've banned Adventures of Babysitting from Disney, though. Really? I guess so. I guess it's got too much adult themes. Oh Christ, man! What's sort of like uh, Tom Jones and rugby? I'm sure, you heard about that nastiness? No, 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 I didn't. I guess they won't play Delilah, or they won't chant Delilah at rugby games anymore because it alludes to the murder of a woman, even though it's alluded to the murder of a woman since like 1971 or whatever the hell he released that. Oh, but anyway, geez. I digress. As always, I um when I was watching this again for the first time after 70 million times as a kid i suddenly wondered if alana was actually the girl from uh hello mary lou prom night 2 but then i realized she wasn't i was disappointed oh yeah she was played by kathleen beller who just had the she was gorgeous and she oh, was yeah. one of the best actors in this movie you know, some some of the acting is is kind of misleveled. You know, some people are overacting, some people are underacting, but she was she knew exactly what kind of movie she was in, and she she played the part very well. Do you think that but, they um, underutilized Zusha? Yeah, that was actually one of the notes I had here. Is this because the movie suffers from like oh, not having okay. enough Zusha? Because I mean, imagine how great it would have been if you've already got him in the shit. To have him like stand up on a wagon, like in the center of your army, and then you just see everybody on the other side, just like start writhing around in pain, like snakes coming out of their mouth, like uh, like Halloween three. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I just I think it was a major league missed opportunity. But I would have to say that the parts that he does have are just fantastic. Do you know who did the physical effects? Uh, you know, no, I don't. But I will look as we're talking. Because uh, Machiavelli, as we've said, is uh, two-faced in more ways than one. Because, like, non-linearly, like we were talking about, it turns out that uh, this evil fucking snake is actually Zusha in disguise. And at one point, he actually rips his own head. Like, you think it's just face, but it's pretty much head, too. He's ripping his whole body in half to let Zusha escape from it. Yeah, that's a great sequence. That that when he when his head starts splitting open and his chest starts to split and everything, and he's oh, split. it's great. Uh, special effects were done by the the special effects supervisor was John Carter. That uh, bunch of other Mars? guys. 
<laughs> no, no. <laughs> God damn. No, it said he, really let's see, it said he had done, he done 18 films. He did Maniac Cop 2, The Immortalizer, <laughs> Disorderlies, Program the Kill, Sword and the Sorcerer, of course, uh, Earthbound. Oh, another one we talked about, Evil Speak. Now we're talking. See that I think that it's it's that whole Venn diagram incestuous people again, where they like you might know somebody from one production, you just bring them over. Yeah. Yeah, but a lot of stunts, a lot of stunt people got a lot of special effects. Oh, dude, wait a second. I totally forgot to mention um, the guy that I was calling Better Call Saul, like the uh, the balding sort of advisor to Talon. Who oh, I'll yeah. Never forget. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. He was the uh, he was he was like kind of a staple of 80s television. Yeah, and he, he was, was on uh, Brown, wasn't he? He was. Before that, though, he was the man in the chair for Street Hawk, the motorcycle-based sort of, like, Knight Rider knockoff that I fucking loved. I never saw that. I missed that as a kid. Street Hawk was so great. It was basically like a super cycle. And this guy, I can't remember if if he had been a cop, but then, you know, the law wasn't fast enough, so they took this experimental motorcycle and put it on the streets as Street Hawk. And... Better call Saul is the is the man in the chair. Huh. So I <laughs> he still got like a sore thumb, dude. I think his name was Darius or something. But but he was good as sort of like that uh Yeah, his name was Darius. I looked up John Regal Buto Regal Buto? Regal Buto? Something like that. Um Yeah, something like that. I'm horrible with names. But it was great because he was sort of like I always get um, is a Cassius and Brutus where Brutus was kind of like the warrior and Cassius was like the guy who whispered in his ear. So cat or uh, I said Cassius again. Darius was sort of like the guy who whispered in Talon's ear to see if he would you know we got to go help this king. You won't have a kingdom by the time he's there. And Talon was like then we'll win it back for him. I'm lusty, you bastard. So, <laughs> He was the one guy, though, that he, he did seem a bit out of place because everybody in this movie was built, toned, and ripped. And there he was, old Joe Darius, was just like with the dad bod and the receding hairline. You know, I'm not picking on him, but it was just like he he he, he didn't show up for Corday. You know, no, 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 no way. <laughs> he I didn't think get that the... he was kind of like the accountant of the group where he's like, OK, <laughs> I'm counting the gold coins because these guys don't know what the fuck is going on. I'm going to pocket like a third of this stuff. I'm going to get a blowjob in every other county, but I'm making sure we got all this this booty in the damn coffer because otherwise these guys are going to drape it all over Christendom. Or, <laughs> out of like or whatever 12, the... I was going to say, out uh-huh. of those like 12 guys that uh, was following Talon around, he was the dietary advisor to make sure that nobody got scurvy and shit. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, hey, man, fucking, eat your, eat your citrus fruits. Get yeah. your goddamn grapefruit. <laughs> Cut an arm off. Don't do it yourself. Bring yeah, the leeches. But, 
that whole leech is like, get a leech. He's like, no, dad, seriously. He's like, with the leeches. He's like, we don't have time for this shit. <laughs> like, dad, dad, I'm trying to tell you some shit. The only thing that the was grosser from- than that. The the thing about the leeches and the 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 son that was dying was it the we're backtracking here just a quick second but it was when the original like witch you know it was like it it lives and then she instantly goes and starts sucking on his fingers like oh okay, that was like, the same thing different. because it's like dude that can't be much more than ky jelly he's got going <laughs> so that's that is some gross shit. That's like fucking De Niro Frankenstein on tour you're licking right there. It's like, get the fuck out of here with that. <laughs> but, I mean, hey, you know, maybe she was a, a product of, like, the 70s uh, smut. Maybe she was willing to, who the fuck knows? She worked, she did a lot in New York. So, it's like, she, she didn't care. She didn't. I mean, it's Richard Mole for Christ's sake. It's like, his, his head's all covered in appliances, but that body. She was <laughs> like, I'll take what I can get. But he had those big Fu Man fingers on. <laughs> So oh, she's yeah, like two man fingers. <laughs> <laughs> with the ET yeah. glowing, glowing, uh, t- glowing tips on his fingers. I always and thought I of ET say, every time I saw that. He made great use of them because he was never not like curling them around and fluttering them around. He really did a good job with those fingers. Like when he was getting stabbed, he was like, oh, what a world. Just to see him like, you know, oh. and it was so funny. <laughs> I, I really got a kick out of that. But, you know, people talk about Game of Thrones and, like, the Red Wedding. They got nothing, nothing on Cromwell's fucking dinner plate. Oh, jeez, like, man. Hey, guys, guess what we're going to do? Make sure that all the bodyguards are fucking slaughtered because do we have a dinner idea for you? Yeah, we're going to kill the the kings of four king- kingdoms. All the bodyguards, and you know what? When my wife gives her nuptials, and just kill everybody. And by the way, you know what? A very good centerpiece for this dinner is gonna be greasy, gonna... oily, crucified freebooter. Just. <laughs> I think we we hadn't even mentioned who's been playing Talon. Uh, Talon oh, no, by sorry. Lee Horsley. Yeah. <laughs> um. Turns out that I. Uh, I went to school with a Horsley, and he was uh, he was related to him. Oh no! Needless shit. to say, yeah. <clears throat> needless to say, this guy looked more like Louis Skolnick. <laughs> so I'm not exactly sure what happened in the gene pool over there. He lost the remember, genetic. He lost the genetic game on that one. Something. I mean, we lived we lived near to a, a nuclear power plant, uh, but. I, I'm not exactly sure if that if that mutated his ass or what the hell happened, but he did not get the genetic um, fortune that Lee Horsley got. I used to watch Lee Horsley all the time when I was younger. As I think his name was Matt Houston. I can't remember. I, I can't remember if the the show was called Houston or what, but he was sort of like a Magnum PI type. Yeah, um, Matt Houston. I was looking up his IMDb. I hit that ran for sixty-seven episodes between eighty-two and eighty-five. So that would so that would prove. Oh my God, that is insane. So I couldn't have been more than eight watching that. Why the fuck was I watching Matt Houston? At eight. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't. Sometimes I think Houston. back. I really think back sometimes, and I think all this weird stuff that I saw on TV was there a parent present? I think about that all the time because like 
why in the hell would an eight-year-old turn on fucking Matt Houston? That is so weird. I watched The Fall Guy a ton when I was a kid. Oh, I used to watch The Fall Guy all the time. Which I heard they're remaking that with Ryan Reynolds or something. Oh, no. No. Yeah. No. Come on. No. If you don't, if you haven't got a Lee Majors type, I would say that like Matthew McConaughey is the closest one you got. Yeah, I could see Matthew McConaughey. I, I could see somebody like, you know, with a, a little more, how am I going to say, not a little more swagger. What's the word I'm looking for here? But, uh, um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, I mean, Ryan Reynolds is, is, is good at what he does. He's good at playing Ryan Reynolds. You know, but, nah, not, not, or no, not no, wait. Majors. Maybe I meant Ryan Gosling. Oh god! I may have met Ryan Gosling. Even Ryan Gosling, no. I'm just gonna say no. You know, Woody, uh, get somebody think... weird like Woody Harrelson, man. Fuck it. If you're gonna, oh, you're... there you go. Oh, dude, great call, great call. I think that would be great having that. Yeah, he's he's at that age now where he'd be perfect to play somebody that was the aging stunt man, you know, with the comical kind of edge. Because Lee Majors was pretty funny during that show. I mean, you know, it was a it was a straight up comedy action show you know and woody harrelson can really wear a cowboy hat so i think that would really go you know uh, a type of actor that i don't think we have in the 21st century is a bruce boxleitner type oh yeah Yeah, i don't think we've got one like that somebody with that chiseled jaw we got bruce Bruce campbell but you know he's uh he's he's in a different different realm he better hope that i never meet him because i'll say hey pizza papa sucked (laughs) <laughs> I like Pizza Papa. It was, I think that it was beneath him. I think it was beneath him. I really do. Fair enough. If you got Bruce Campbell and you have the opportunity to have a multiversal thing, it should have been like Bruce Campbell as Nick Fury, like the real Nick Fury. With the I, I think they missed the mark in not having. Uh, I, I I do agree in a way that it's beneath him, but just to give him that little throwaway cameo in the Marvel universe. Why on earth they couldn't have just had him played a variant of Doctor Strange? You know. I, I don't. I don't. Why, get it, it. why does it feel like I saw a picture of him dressed up as Doctor Strange behind the scenes? Maybe, uh, maybe it's they, a deleted scene. Who knows? That movie was kind of weird. It was not not a great movie. It's not. I, it, it, I I can go as far as to say that it sucks. I can't. Uh, I can't straight up say that it sucked, but it was just. It was disappointing. You know, I was just like, okay. You know, my boy Sam, he's coming back. He, he's going to direct another, you know, superhero movie. Like, oh, but they cut his fucking balls off, man. Well, just, but that, I think that's exactly what happened, though. I think that he fell victim again. I, th- I think he may have been bankrolling on this one where he was like, okay, I'm going to take the hit and I'm going to go under the yoke again so I can get a big bankroll and get back in the public eye so I can do something I want later. That's the only thing I can think of because I can, there, the only, uh, there was like a maximum of, of like 10 minutes that was Sam Raimi all the way through. And you know which one I'm talking about? Yeah. But anyway, yeah. sorry, digression, digression. Um, digression, yes, yes. 
We, we, we digress think, all the time here, but like I, I often say, it's our show. We can do whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> but I do think that Zusha, it would have been so... Because it seems like... I wonder about like the optical budget, because you would have thought that seeing as how the sword is on one side of the title and the sorcerer is on the other side that you, we would have seen a lot more like warlock stuff happening and he wasn't having to like physically fight like he was. Right. Right. Because there is like a showdown between Zusha and, uh, and uh, Talon. Yeah. Where it seems like it's, it's predominantly physical. Yeah. It's not, yeah. not a lot of, I expected more like uh like egg shen and at the, end, at the end of big trouble in little china fuck yeah that's what you need to be happening but i guess it would have had to have had another like that would have been good if like the accountant would have ended up being like a closet wizard Yeah, but that fi- that fight like with between Talon and Zusha, I mean it, it it doesn't one it doesn't last very long. It's just like a lot of the fights in here doesn't last very long. But I have a question about the 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 his choice of weaponry. As cool as it looks, that three bladed sword, it's kind of like the glaive and crawl. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool looking as fuck, but it's a highly impractical weapon. Like, oh, massively. How- like how like how the fuck did it work? Where was the projection engine on that thing? That like because <laughs> it, it sounded like it sounded like the Millennium Falcon flying through space, you know. But like, where was it coming from? Like, yeah, how, I mean, uh, are we on? Yeah, yeah, we're on. Oh, okay. Um, I think that it it sort of has a little bit of the same problem as uh, as Kylo Ren's like exhaust port. Uh, lightsaber, where it's yeah. like the likelihood of you getting hurt using this thing is massive. Right, right. Uh, it seems I like you playing, would be hurt hurt a lot more than anything else you'd be swinging it at. Well, I, I made a, a, sl- a mistake like that. I had a rare D&D game uh, with some campaigners probably something like three weeks ago, and um, I was actually kind of clever with my, the, my choice of uh, what I had come up with because I was kind of like coming in out of nowhere. They asked me to come and they sort of had this, the sky was sort of the limit on what, what kind of character I was. So I just, I came up with a guy where he was a reporter and it was because it was sort of like a, a weird Western Western slash sword and sorcery thing. Oh, that sounds so, cool. I kinda, so I kind of decided to be, do you remember the little guy who was following around English Bob in unforgiven? Yeah. 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 I decided to be that guy. Yeah, I decided to be that guy, except every time I write something down in my notebook, it it comes to life. So, like, if I need a weapon. Yeah, and the uh, dungeon master really liked it. So, one day, I was wondering how to fight this guy, and I said, I create the Mace of Thorns. He's like, what's that? I was like, it's a mace with all these uh, thorns all over it. And I said, even the handle. So, using it actually hurts me a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> and that it reminds me of of the uh, the quad quad caliber because if you try to wait, there's wait, no wait, way wait, to wait 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 
quad cal quad caliber TM. Quad caliber uh, TM. TM. Uh, uh, <laughs> copyright. Uh, 2023. Um, you try to swing that thing, and also it seemed like he was always laying it up against his shoulder to rest it there. You're cut three times if you do right. that. Yeah, and in those days, getting cut, cut and sliced up meant you got an infection and likely died from a minor wound. Yeah, even even Talon as a kid was doing that. You would have to have, um, you know, those uh, those shooting jackets with like the leather patch on your shoulder. You'd have to have that with all the time. But like yeah. you said, there's there's definitely an expulsion of smoke or steam whenever it fires. So I have no idea what what's supposed to be what the uh, propulsion is. I don't think they knew. <laughs> They're like, it just shoots, man. It's a shooting sword. What do you want? <laughs> Why are you questioning this? You do question I mean, if they, a, if they had made it a thing where, um, if they had made it a thing where it was magical, because that was one thing about Hawk the Slayer, like I said before, there was a sword that actually had a fist uh, on the end and there was a gem where like when the gem was brought into contact with it the fist would open and close around the gem and then all of a sudden you could call the sword back to you wherever you were so like if, if it would have had a magical property to it or let's say that he had a normal sword and then it turns out that Darius was like the closet warlock so then yeah. he just sort of uh, made it so that he could fire it and you would see like some sort of lightning connecting from the back of the, you know, it, it just, it was needlessly silly, but I wouldn't have it any other way for this. Cause to oh, be honest, for the most, for the most part, I would say that this fucking movie plays it straight for something like 95% of the time. The 5% is really super goofy, but the rest of it, it seems like they're really going in hard. I think everybody wanted it to be a good thing, you know? Well, I mean, I think it was also played along the lines of it played horror very well. You know, I mean, yeah, it was, sure. I mean, like Zusha himself was a scary motherfucker. I mean, that's like a demon straight out of a fucking horror movie. I mean, exploding hearts from across the room, and oh god, when they killed the the the, the oh, what the hell the 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 slave master that's down there, the just the pr- prison guard that Robert Tessier plays, Vertigo. When they like kill him and, and they they push him face first into the sh- the sharpening stone and just you just see eyeballs and brains and blood just shooting up into the the frame. It's like oh yep that that guy died fucking pretty horribly. This was definitely a hard R, not a PG thirteen like Dungeon Master. I think that there was an astounding amount of gore um, for the the small part, because like you were talking about, the fights were sort of abbreviated and stuff. I think that they packed the punch for what they were. Yeah. Because you don't want, uh, as I was talking about Kylo Ren's lightsaber and stuff, you don't want like the Revenge of the Sith fight where it is full on something like 10 minutes. Like You, you don't want that either. So it's yeah, sort of, you only uh, want you only want that with the finale. Like people want, uh, or people talk shit about um, Cutthroat Island. I love that fucking film. 
And it seemed I never like their fights. understood the hate for it. I never understood I don't the either. hate for it. I really don't. I don't understand it at all. I loved that pirate movie. That was a great one. But I think that their fight scenes were swashbuckling and over the top and stuff. But they seemed like they were well choreographed and, and perfectly long enough. I think that this movie would have stood to have, I don't know, maybe a third longer uh, in the like the conflicts and different stuff like that. And definitely, like we were talking about, it would have been great to say, see Zusha like affect the armies. But maybe they just didn't didn't have enough extras or something. I don't know. And they, I think they did just fine with the budget that they had. I think the budget with this movie was what four million dollars. Yeah, which which blows my mind. I just can't stop bringing it up because it blows my mind. Nowadays, if the movie was a hundred million dollars and you made, I mean, what would that have been? Almost a billion dollars. If you had yeah, made it for I mean, hundred million and made almost a billion dollars, there would be you would have a sequel happening like immediately. So the tenor of everything must have changed. It may kind of made me wonder if maybe Lee Horsley, uh, if Lee Horsley was kind of like bound up on uh, Matt Houston and couldn't get free for a sequel or something, it just seems weird that they wouldn't have had that available. Yeah, it doesn't make sense that that. I mean, with the the four million dollar budget made forty million, made ten times his budget back, especially for nineteen eighty two. That's almost unheard of. You know, it just didn't make sense that they you know took to twenty ten to make a sequel. And, I mean, and then to when me, they did do it, they made it with Kevin Sorbo. So that tells you what happened. Apparently, Lee Horsley <laughs> was in there somewhere, but who knows where. But like I said, I've, like still, me, I've still yet to see it. I've never caught that one. One day, perhaps. I just think that it's weak that they refer to it as a cult classic when that's not what it is. It's a fucking hit. Like, flat out. That, that's, that's a hit. Yeah, a cult classic could be something that they spent $4 million on and it made a million dollars of its budget back, you know? And then, that's you know, maybe hit. it was on fucking Joe Bob and then later on had a resurgence or something, but... Yeah, that was a bona fide hit. So I, I think it's kind of insulting to its memory when you think about that stuff, especially when you had, I mean, goddamn, they had so many trailer worthy moments that I'm kind of surprised. I, lo- I would like to sort of see what, what kind of life it had on home video. Well, I imagine shit. If it, if it made 40 million at the box office, it had to clean house on home video. I would imagine it would have had to. I mean, I suppose maybe there would have been a little bit of confusion because, like I said, those covers were so uh, uh, sort of like similar. You may have accidentally seen Ator or something, you know, trying to watch Sword and Sorcerer. Oh, and there, have been, there have been people who said that it had that Sword and the Sorcerer was a generic name. I disagree. I think it's a classic name. I, th- I think it and, falls right in line with the material. Yeah, and, and the logo was badass looking, too. It would be weird that he would make such a weird turn, Albert Pune would, and do his second movie two years later and would be Radioactive Dreams. Oh, you shit, know. I didn't know he... Well, when you said he'd done... Or did you say he did 50 movies? 56, I think, was total. There's no way that I could name more than five of those.
Oh damn, I could probably name twenty if I if I really set I had my no mind idea. to it. So probably <laughs> off the top of my head. Well, he had, I like, had no idea he was He was, I mean, especially in the eighties, he just didn't stop working. Like literally, did not stop working. Like once he got going, he was just like every year was pumping out a movie. I mean, like was Radioactive uh, Dreams the one about the uh, the test facility, like a cafe, or is that Atomic Cafe? I think that's Atomic Cafe. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Radioactive Dreams had uh, Michael Dudikoff in one of his first movies and John Stockwell. It was like a post, post-nuclear post war private eye movie. Oh, shit. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it, it was very comic bookish. It was very fucking really just weird, especially like considering Michael Dudikoff, would, like, he would start, you know, turn to do the American Ninja movies. It was a kind of a goofy turn for him, but yeah, it was really good. I, I love that movie. Um... But yeah, I mean, I, I think it even had, uh, I think it even had George Kennedy in it, if I remember. Well, like that motherfuckers and everything. I know that I'm come, I'm always coming up with new shows, but I think <laughs> it would, I think it would be interesting to do a miniseries called Corey Watches American Ninja. I've never seen any of those. Oh no, you haven't. Yeah, so that would be good to sort of put me through like a trial, like over one weekend, and then we just like document the whole thing. Dude, I think there's like five or six American Ninja movies. Come over on Friday, watch two on Friday, two on Saturday, two on Sunday. It's a whole weekend. Yeah, make it a w- weekend of it, shoot it as a YouTube show. Because we'd have to get your reaction on video. We couldn't just do this audio. And I only get to eat whatever he eats throughout the whole thing. So like, if you only <laughs> see him eating like little bamboo shoots and water, like that's all I get to get for the whole weekend. Uh, I think one movie, all he does is like tequila shooter. So, man, you better prepare, <laughs> prepare thy liver. Prepare your oh fucking God. liver for desecration. <laughs> so how, um, how close do you think Talon was to sleeping with his sister accidentally? Uh, I think he was a lot closer than like Luke Skywalker was to sleeping with Princess Leia. <laughs> you because, know, I mean. She was like the horror, wasn't she? Yeah, and uh, I think she, if I remember right, doesn't she lay a big kiss on him when they like save her or they rescue her? Were they singing? Were they uh, swinging across the chasm? Yeah. God damn, uh, the fucking, the theft never stops. <laughs> Incest never stops, especially back then. I mean, you know, put your family to the test, I guess. <laughs> oh my God. That's that's sick. We're it's a sick world, but we're happy guys, folks. I have to admit, I I think that um, actually now that I think about it, I would have loved to have had this in a novelization form. I wonder if it exists. I think there was a um, a novelization because I read somewhere in the IMDb trivia that there was like some discrepancies that they made some changes. But I mean, I think that's what a novelization like that is for, though. I think you can kind of um, yeah, I actually connect just found, some dots and stuff. I just found it right here. It says Norman Winsky did a novelization of the screenplay. Hmm. And also, there was a video game adaptation that was programmed for Coleco. Uh, for oh use God. on the 
yeah, from for use on the ColecoVision system in '83, but the video game crash in '83 meant it never went beyond the prototype stage. While the game is still available on the internet and can be used with an emulator, so oh, I have, crap. I might have to search that shit out. I'm telling you, I'll be checking that out. Although it would be, um, they would have to make up some weird levels. <laughs> You're right. It's like, He's like, Cromwell goes to take over the kingdom, and then he just kind of still tries to take over the kingdom, even though he pretty much took over the kingdom. But he, And also, it's like, okay, you're inviting five kings. Where in the fuck are all these kings' lands at? Because Cromwell makes it sound like he's already taken over this fucking continent. So it's like, is it just like every continent of the world or what? Right, right. When they brought on all those kings, I was just like, and didn't they ever have an inkling that this Cromwell, A, wasn't a stand-up guy, and B, might be planning something nefarious by having them all come to his, like, you know, hashtag fucking, you know, red wedding fucking event? <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. like, it wasn't really smart on their part. I'm just saying, like, you know, Cromwell was a fucking pretty angry guy and pretty uh, devious, you know, like th- n- nobody thought he was on the up. I can see it now. Sure. You got um, uh, King Godric is sitting there and some messenger like runs in with his big scroll. It's like, yes, my liege. He opens it up. It's like, hey, um, King. Um, all right. I forgot what I called him. King Godric. This is King Elfram. Are you going to the Crimson Cotillion at uh, Cromwell's <laughs> place? I don't know. It seems kind of shady. Is it legit? LOL. And then he's like, <laughs> he just kind of like signs it and like sticks it in the messenger's back. And he's like, run forth and give this to him and tell him I'm kind of meh about it. <laughs> kind of oh, meh. I might, might not. <laughs> like uh, Cromwell has killed every member of his cabinet. Except for the one with the fucking Prince Valiant haircut. What do we do? <laughs> what you do? He's just so stay mean. the fuck home. You just stay home. He's just so mean spirited. Like even in his, in, his, in his triumph, he never fucking smile. He like a smirk is about all you get. And that's when like a woman walks in, you know. Right, right. <laughs> so there's something I didn't know while I was going through the IMDb trivia when I was looking up for uh, trivia tidbits about the novelization. Apparently, the scene towards the end when uh, Talon shatters the enemy's swords with his own, and he cuts through all those swords, and they all like, sh- like four of them shatter at once. Apparently, one of the pieces of the sh- sword went through the air, skewered his scalp, cut him where he needed stitches, and Horsley? yeah, Horsley. Oh so shit! It was, it was one of the many like stunts that went wrong. It said that uh, apparently. Uh, I know. I think I might have mentioned this at the, towards the beginning of the show, or I can't remember if I said it off there. But stuntman Jack Tyree was actually killed, uh, died on set when he jumped off a cliff and misses missed the set of airbags he was supposed to hit. Oh <laughs> my god! So, but yeah, so yeah, eighties. Uh, it was a different time, I guess. <laughs> Just people getting hurt left and right. Richard Mall who played actually only played uh, Zusha during certain scenes because when he, you know, this movie, like most movies are not shot in sequence, you know, but um, when he's resurrected, apparently the contact lenses he was wearing reacted poorly to the muck 
that he was coming out of, and they ended up fusing to his eyes, and they couldn't remove him. And, and it temporary, temporarily blinded him, and he had to fly him to UCLA to have the lenses, lenses surgically removed. And he was Fuck. out of... He was out of commission for a while, and he was recast for some of the sequences later on. Only some of them, but like fucking believable. So, are you going to be the guy who takes that job? Or is like, yeah, Dick Maul. Uh, he kind of had to leave the set. It's like, oh shit, he's a stand-up guy. How come he had to leave? No reason. Hey, by the way, we got to put these uh, we got to put these contact lenses in. Don't worry about it. And whatever you do, don't submerge your head. Well, uh, what's the matter? Aren't they waterproof? No, no, uh, no, no. Don't worry. Just uh. They're expensive, so don't go underwater. Don't go under. <laughs> right. It's it's all good. It's all good. Uh, it's all good. Don't even got, worry about it. I got some more uh, trivia if you want to hear some of it. This, this I do. Is, apparently, Oliver Reed was originally cast as the film's narrator, but he showed up so drunk and pissed off that he was spitting mad. It says here that he was even there at all. That he didn't want to be there. He verbally attacked. Uh, Albert Pune in his office started breaking things and smashing things in the office. But then he calmed down, actually complimented Robert Pune's, uh, you know, ideas and everything. But the director still asked him to be replaced, and the role went to that uh, Simon McCorkendale. But yeah, Oliver I mean, Reed, I, I can. Uh, as much as I love me some Oliver Reed, I think that, uh, I mean, Curse of the Werewolf, The Brood. I mean, Gladiator in his latter days, actually in his latest days. But yeah, um, I'm gonna say that was his last movie, wasn't it? Yeah. But I have to say that it does give a little bit of a um, contextual grounding to have Micah uh, as the narrator. I I kind of like that. But Oliver Reed's voice is just fucking killer. So I would have loved to have heard some uh, test test recordings that would have been cool to hear that yeah that would have been neat you can understand like you know him showing up the way he did they're like i can understand that why they didn't uh think it was a good idea to you know hire him at the time apparently there's a book i don't know if it's called like angry young men or what but it's about oliver reed richard harris peter o'toole and a fourth guy and i can't remember who the fourth guy was but apparently they were all like the angry young British actors who just got Blitzkrieg drunk all the time and just raised hell. I think it might actually, I think the book might be called Hellraisers now that I think about it. Oh, I got to find that. I got to find that. That sounds fucking right up my alley. I yeah. remember reading a story about uh, Oliver Reed in a interview with Lance Hendrickson where they had a scene together in uh, Pit and the Pendulum. And oh, apparently- yeah. That he, you know, he, he shows up, does his one scene, and then he just, you know, he's done. That apparently, like, in the middle of filming, he was so drunk and had to piss that he just pulled down his pants and started pissing in the middle of the set. I'm like, and I don't, you know, it could be tall tales, it could be real, but, like, that 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 story, that that kind of thing tracks with the stories that I've heard about Mr. Reed. Um, I'll just say it that much, <laughs> you know. I was able to get... Uh... Back in the sacred um, uh, home video world days, I was able to get the Hendrickson Pit and the Pendulum poster when they took it off the wall, and it and it was in my room for fucking years. It fell off the the wall. It was there. It was so great. I mean, Lance Hendrickson as Torquemada. 
who's not around for that? It's just unreal, unbelievable. Oh, and I mean, it's Stuart Gordon, too. I mean, like, why not, man? Uh-huh. Okay. I do remember at one point, I know this is going to be a weird segue. You mentioned how, like, this movie is 95% serious, but there's, like, the 5% that's just kind of a little whimsical. Yeah. Um, I think the most... <sighs> <laughs> is when the most whimsical part i'm using air quotes here i i, I constantly do that and i got to remember that i'm not on the like on video <laughs> air quotes but uh, but when talon takes out when he first shows up at the bar and he takes out everybody with that big old drumstick or whatever the hell it was <laughs> a leg of lamb <laughs> it's just like okay I, I see what you're doing here you're just gonna take out all the guards with the Big old turkey leg, I guess. Okay. Oh, I love it. I love that so much. <laughs> it's about as it's about as funny as when Talon. It's about as funny as when Talon ro- rolls through the window and just lands face first in, in a set of titties, and he's just like, "Okay, um, like, wh- what do I do with these?" <laughs> you know. And then the other girls in the room jump up like that chick in the room in Commando. <laughs> right. Like boobs, like flapping all over the place. He's like, "Hello, ladies. I wish I could stay." Yeah, he does have a very Han Solo-ish kind of way about him. He, you know, it kind of makes a- me wonder how Lee Horsley would have done in like a Remo Williams American Bond type of thing. You know? Oh, I thought I think he would have been great, but uh, I, I also. I think he's also not exactly really a good guy in this movie. No, no, no way, no way. Because like he's, you know, after he takes out everybody with the the, the big old drumstick, he says to Alana, he's like, well, you know, he's like, you know, she offers him what two hundred pounds or two hundred dollars or whatever, you know, two hundred coins or whatever it was, and she's like, and he's like, no, that's not enough, and he's like, oh, okay, well, what about five hundred? He's like, no, I want one night alone with you. It's just like. Seems like kind of a deplorable option. You just like I'm going to fight off and help your help your brother, find your brother, you know. So my sword is for hire, but you know you got to give it up at the end. This seems like pretty gross. But I think option. that he, I, I think there's something hidden in there though. I think he might sort of be hiding his valor a little bit because if you say that and she agrees to, she can still go through with it. But if you win the day. Chances are she would have given that to you anyway, so you're sort of doing it for free, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah I guess, yeah. And you know, although I mean, there was always that risk. He's coming back into town again, or maybe that was just the spice for him, where he's like, you know, any one of these girls could be my sister. I have no idea. So maybe that was the spice cared. for him, sort of like Joe Dirt, where he's just like, hey. uh, just gonna pretend. Just call yourself Elizabeth while I'm, while you're in my presence, okay? <laughs> I mean that, that's what blue bloods do, right? I mean that's what blue bloods do. That's how we right, keep this right. You know, right. But he, but he lied me, to uh, he lied to his father. That was one thing. Yeah, it just he told his father that he was of, gonna. Oh god, good. Sorry. I was gonna say he he told his father that he was gonna. I mean, I guess in a roundabout way, he is ensuring the safety of the kingdom. But you know his dad was meaning that it was to be him that would take care of the kingdom, not go, hey, pick the guy that you like most. You know what? How about the son of my best, my most respected companion? How much you pick his son? But, 
Yeah, defend the kingdom and give it to this guy. You know, don't keep it in the family line. Nope, nope, nope. You need to find a man with absolutely perfectly straight teeth. That's got to be Simon McCorkendale right there. <laughs> right. Uh, Simon McCorkendale with that fucking hairdo, man. Jesus. It's pretty ugly. It's even worse than Macchiato's, whatever his name is. Oh, yeah. Oh, Michelli? McKelly? I call him Macchiato. That's hilarious. Oh, man. <laughs> I was just like, I know who he's talking about, but that ain't, ain't his name. <laughs> Uh, another whimsical moment while we're on the 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 trend of talking semi whimsical moments when Lana kicks Cromwell in the nuts was well called for because he's just being nasty. He's just like, you're going to become my my queen. Like everybody's trying to bed down poor Alana. Like, you know, how about asking for consent instead of just saying you're going to be mine? You know, there was was there no such thing as consent back then? Jesus Christ. But uh, like, but when yeah. she tries the the. The, the kick to uh, uh, Michelli, who is, you know, Zusha, you know, when she tries to kick him in the, in the nuts, and it's just like a clung, and she tries it again, it hits him with her knee, and just clung, and it's like, it doesn't quite work out the second time around for her. That's hilarious. But, but then we get, like, like from there, it's, uh, that's, uh, we've already talked about it a little bit, but that fucking transformation scene where he pulls off his head and splits out of fucking Michelli's body is fucking pretty gruesome. Oh, it's gruesome as fuck. But it's also kind of... Because you would think that it would be a little more mystical than that, but I think that shows the level of power. He can actually create a body around his body. If he had, like, possessed that guy at first, that, that'd be different. Right, but He created right. a... Actually, you know what? It just occurred to me, he's kind of like Edgar in uh, Men in Black. He would have had to shrunk down and crunched himself into that body. Because yeah, Richard probably Mall a foot taller uh, than that guy. Oh, yeah, at least by a good foot. Yeah. So he has, like, unfold out of this human form. It's fucking... It is totally striking as fuck when that happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, so you can yeah. imagine, like, this is on HBO at, like, 2 in the morning... And you like went in the other room to get your microwave popcorn started. You come back. <laughs> this guy's tearing his body and he's like, oh, fuck, what did I miss? It's like all of a sudden it's just like his head's popping off and it's just like, um, he's got his head off. What the fuck happened? What did I miss? I stopped to grab a Bud Light and a, and a, and a bag of pop microwave popcorn and then I come back to this shit. And, and, someone, and someone who um, had, a, had a, a stake in the movie was like, yeah, you missed uh, 45 minutes of, uh, of Zusha. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It was in there. You missed 45 minutes of it when you were gone getting your popcorn. <laughs> yeah, three, minutes, Rich, three think, minutes per bag, my ass. Do you think that uh, Richard Mole is spinning in the grave he's not even in yet about the new Night Court show? Uh, I, I imagine he is. I, I can't imagine that... Uh, him or Marshall Warfield or either one of them are probably very happy about that. It's some canned laughter bullshit too. The, the only thing I find redeeming about it, I, I still think John Larroquette is still great. He's, he's still a fucking, you know, a national treasure, but like this, but he isn't, is... uh, but, but, but he, but it seemed like the character isn't the character anymore. Is it N not really? I'm still sticking with it. I, I'm gonna. I, I've got halfway through the, the this first season. I'm gonna see it through to the end, but I don't know if I'll pick it up after this first season's over. 
I think I would much rather buy the Blu-rays of the original season and binge those, to be honest with you. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, same, same. Because I didn't even know who Mel Torme was, if not for that show. I, I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known who he was. I'm still not quite sure if I know who he is. I, I'm just kidding. I'm just fucking around. I'm being stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I know who Mel Torme is. <laughs> so do you think that um, for Bull, there was basically like, okay, we need a lurch. Except we need to be him to be able to deliver some very heartfelt, sweet, comedic lines. And they just found, like, the biggest brute they could find. And it turned out he was, like, fantastic at it. Yeah, and to think, in, like, in that time, he had also done uh, one of his most, like, assholey type roles when he played uh, in House. He was the main bad yeah. guy in the House. He was a, he was a motherfucker uh-huh. in that movie. But yeah, 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 fucking Richard Mall, man. He's uh, from Ball to this. That's quite a storied career, man. And also, you know, Batman the Animated Series. Who he, did he, he voice was, uh, in that? I know he voiced he, a character. I just couldn't remember who. Well, he voiced Harvey Dent slash Two Face, and he voiced the Bat Computer. Ah, uh, okay, okay. I think so. The that last... is not a, that's not that's not small potatoes either. I think the last thing I seen him in that I can remember seeing him in was Jingle All the Way, which is weird movie. <laughs> weird did he, segue did he, there. Did he play a Santa? Uh, I can't remember who he played. I haven't seen that movie in years. I just remember that he was in it. I remember him. He played a pretty big role in the Highlander television show. I never watched that. Never watched a single. Uh, no, no, no. I take Mom it back. Mom was I, in love with Adrian Paul, so we had to watch it all the time. Actually, that was a lie. I I did watch the pilot. I forgot that I did watch the pilot, but I'd never watched past that. I need to I need to rec- rectify that 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 issue. I need to at least someday someday when I've caught up on my my stack of 127 Blu-rays and DVDs that I got stacked up that I haven't watched. So I have a question though, and this is something I've gotten wrong for a long time. Albert Pyun didn't direct Dark City. No. That was Alex Proyas. The guy that was So the, you the, can so you can see how we get those two names fucked up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that was the, that was the guy who directed the crow, the same guy that directed the crow. Ugh. That was one of those ultimate horror edition questions the other night. Oh, on the trivial. Did you say, did you say that you own did you say that you own that? Yeah, yeah. Oh it's fantastic, man. Patty gifted it to me for Christmas a couple of years ago, actually. So I think that you and I got it just around the same time then. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like it. I got one called uh, Slash Cards, too. That's pretty much like a condensed version of uh, a tri- horror trivial pursuit. But yeah, I was I, I was my, the hair was standing up on my arm. I was so impressed with the scope of the thing. They mentioned so many fucking movies that I just figured it was going to be sort of like 1990 and beyond. Yeah, they really go pretty deep. They even get into some silent era shit. Uh huh. <clears throat> but anyway, tangents. Tangent. Tangents uh, again. Uh, well, I, I, mean, I like the. Um, I thought it was kind of cool how they gave Cromwell sort of the. Um, you know how with action figures they'll have like the normal suits, normal suits, and then they'll come up with like a special suit. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden. Uh, in kind of like the final conflict, Cromwell has a whole new crown happening, and like he's called, he's sort of like Cromwell Prime or something. 
Yeah, I love that that uh, that crown he's got. It makes it it makes his head look abnormally large, <laughs> you know. It kind of gave me the the inkling of uh, the way Skeletor looked at the end of the Master of the Universe live action film. Slightly. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. So he was he he thought that he was so powerful on Earth, and he just didn't care about the sorcerer, even though he knew he was powerful. That's why he resurrected him. It's just so weird the way he acted towards magic users. I think he just used them. I think he. I, I think in his mind, everybody was beneath him. Yeah, you, know, you know. But you would have figured he would have. He would have learned that messing around with uh, anybody involved with like dark magic and black magic would not uh, would not be you know not, not be a good thing for him to do. Just it's not a good thing. Because dude, not- I just had an epiphany. I just had an epiphany. Maybe the reason why everybody was stabbing sorcerers in this movie is because their uh, blades were made out of iron. Because iron has like a mystical effect on the dark, on uh, on occult beings and creatures and stuff, right? It does, yeah. It does got some, uh, I think even with vampires and witches and things like that, there's always something about iron. So maybe they had iron weapons as well as steel. And that's what they were fucking with. Because otherwise, I mean, I got to like, I got to come up with loopholes because otherwise it's just silly as fuck to think that you're going to, you're going to down this sorcerer that you completely brought back from liquid form into this gigantic beast that can do shit at a distance. Especially since you would have thought that if it was a question of like the person who resurrects him has like sort of like power over him, then it would have been the witch. And he wouldn't have been able to fucking de-heart her like that. So just because he's like lording over him, that doesn't give him power over him any any further than fucking Zusha would have allowed it. Yeah, it didn't make it didn't make a lot of sense, but it kept the plot moving along at a brisk pace. It kept so, it moving. Yeah, it kept things moving, and I can forgive it for that. I, this movie is just too much fun to, to. I mean, you know, 
it's what we do here. We pick things apart and we look beneath the surface and probably dig a little harder on things that don't necessarily need to be dug into that much. But I think that's part of the beauty of watching these films, you know, looking through at them through a different lens, no pun intended, you know. I could never call this movie stupid, though. I've seen people calling the movie stupid. I don't no. think you can call this movie stupid at all. I think that it's got a lot of quality and a lot of heartfelt uh, acting and craft behind it in every way. It just so happens that there are really little goofy parts in there and yeah, time to just, time. Like it's there's just, just some you know, plot holes. There's just plot holes. This is there is with every movie. There's plot holes all bound in movies like this. Which it actually makes me wonder what kind of editions are available. Like if you were to find some kind of gigantic fucking anniversary Blu-ray that had a bunch of deleted stuff, like an uncut, uh, maybe there's a bunch of loot, a bunch of um, threads, uh, you know, that are, that are tied up with like more footage that had been kind of trimmed away. Yeah, it does seem like sometimes there are big swaths that's like, whoa, hold on, wait a minute. We move forward. I mean, it helps with the pace. Well, shit, at but. one point, you know, Cromwell's going to marry Alana, and they say, "Hey, he's got." You know, they're informing the rebels and everybody that they're, you know, Alana's going to marry him tonight. They crucify. They're going to crucify Talon at the the wedding feast. So it's going to be a bad time, like fucking had by all. And then it's just like time lapse, and they're already captured. They don't show them infiltrating or getting captured or what happens. They're just like in the cells. I wonder so, if that's what's up. Yeah, there I might. Be. If there's like a bigger bigger one available somewhere i would only hope so <laughs> you know you, you, you go to some turkish bath and it's been playing on loop like since <laughs> 1990 it's been, like, play, oh, shit. it's been playing in a like a sp- spanish theater you know for the last fucking 41 years sort of like that thing in the three amigos like somebody got this little crank thing and they just <laughs> they have, <laughs> right. they've just been like making up the dialogue for the last 30 years they don't even know what the hell's going on Right, right, right. <laughs> Lee Horsley is like a national treasure down there. It's, but I mean, you know anytime you, you and I talked about Richard Lynch, uh, I love whenever that guy pops up in something, man, I am there for it every time. Well, he gives 110%. He's always fucking intensity guaranteed, you know, especially in this movie. Apparently, he thought that uh, he had said in an interview is that he thought this movie was going to win some Oscars or get nominated. So he was trying to, like, give it an extra 110 well, percent. So I don't know about all that, but I mean, yeah, but this is also Richard Lynch talking, you know, who knows what he was thinking? He was thinking burn cream. Burn uh, <laughs> he was thinking, man, in four years, I'm going to be doing bad dreams and, you know, thing, things are not going to be going well for me. Well, but but I mean seriously though, it's like he wakes up in the morning, looks in the mirror, he's like, "I was born for this." <laughs> at least I, I wasn't born; I was made for this. Right. Because that guy, like, that ought to be like a biopic in and of itself. That guy's got a hell of a history. Well, I, I thought that, like they utilized, you know, his his look, so to speak you know, very well in the movie Bad Dreams, you know, with that whole idea behind, the, you know, we're not going to, I don't want to get into it too deep, but, the, you know, him burning everybody in that commune, you know, yeah. like, I think they utilize that that pretty well. I mean, you know, it might have been a little bit exploitive, but apparently he was down for it. So what do you, you know, what are you going to do? 
Yep. But uh, I, 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 it's like a aloe, <laughs> aloe. What is it? The <laughs> aloe. Though I walk through the valley of death, the Richard Lynch story. <laughs> Aloe Vera, though, although I walked Aloe Vera, I walked in Valley of Death. <laughs> yes, yes, folks, we make fun of burn victims on this show. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry, right? <laughs> hey, man, it, it would hurt us deeply emotionally if we didn't make fun of stuff. So we only we only poke fun because we love it so much. Uh, true, true. Think of speaking of things I love so much. I love the fact that, like, everybody's having a great time at this feast. This is a magnificent feast, magnificent banquet they got going on, right? Everybody's having I a love, great time. I love it the way it's set up. Yeah, everybody's having a great time except for Alana and Talon, especially Talon, because he's crucified with those fucking spikes through his hands. And I think it's really funny because everybody's going to kill you know, everybody's going to get killed once Alana gives her vows. And this is really going through some slow motion where she's like, you know, where uh, she's about to give her vows. And she's like, I do. The fucking guy, you know, the guy is like ripping his hand with the spike out. And he's just like, no. Man and wife, say man and wife. <laughs> and wife. Skip to the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. But uh, what I got to make a point here is that uh, uh, the guy playing the cardinal that's marrying them, his character actor Simi Bao, who was in Vamp. Yeah, I, was gonna, uh, I was actually going to bring that up too. Yeah. Beetlejuice, Vamp, Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure, fucking 50 other fucking movies, man. And he's just kind of like, you blink. And you you almost just blink and you miss him. Uh huh. Yeah, it's yes, fucking definitely. great. And he looks pretty much exactly like he does in Vamp, you know, or like he does in, in Beetlejuice too. Just bloodshot eyes, sunken in, half dead. You know. <laughs> <laughs> was he the guy that talks about the Lost Souls room? Yes. Okay, I was making yeah. sure I got it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, Striking uh, as fuck. Like he barely needs any makeup at all. No, no, I, I don't think they put any makeup on him at all. I wouldn't think so. But this is probably the best fight scene, though, man. It's very, you know, it's very Errol Flynn, as we have already mentioned. But oh it's yeah, also... Errol Flynn was always good about like the banquet hall. Like you can jump up on the table, jump off of it. Like there's all shit to swing on, like tapestries and whatnot. Like that's it's all about it, man. Yeah, and you can kind of see even where uh, where Army of Darkness kind of borrowed some of their swashbuckling sword fighting shots oh, and stuff. Out. Yeah, yeah, very and a very iconic fight scene. You know, it goes into the slow motion. It gets into those deep reds and pink hues. You know, fuchsia colors and blues. Everything's really overlit and saturated. And there's really only during this fight scene, like the other fight Holy scenes. Holy shit, are very, man! Only Cameron Scott could go film school on the Sword and the Sorcerer. <laughs> Going into color theory, everything else, like, oh shit! <laughs> I think Talon's psychology was such when he was, yeah, okay. <laughs> when he almost had had carnal relations with his own sister. Almost, he probably did. That was just a scene that they cut out when that once they realized what they had done. They're just like, oh, yeah. oh shit, 
You know that happened. You know that happened before they killed Elizabeth. And how they killed Elizabeth was pretty brutal, too. I mean, like, they cut her tongue out. They cut her tongue out and the other dude's tongue out, who I forgot his character's name already. But, like, they bring... Tremillion or something. uh, I I think so. I can't remember. I'm drawing a complete fucking blank here. But, like, and then she just, like, says, you know, she doesn't say anything. Well, she can't say anything. She ain't got a tongue. You know, but she's like draws that sword into her own stomach and it's just like, yep, now your sister's dead. <laughs> well, that's the I think that's the most fucked up part of all. If Cromwell wanted to rule, why didn't he just marry it? Because she would have been queen if Talon never showed back up. She was the rightful queen. So why didn't he just marry her instead of betting her? And also that also would have meant that she was most likely a whore, like very too much young for like the apocalypse. So like chances are that started way back. He should have made her his queen and then he would have been de facto ruler anyway. He wouldn't even have to have to fuck with like any force at all. Right. Yeah. It did, didn't make a whole lot of sense. Even if that, that, is, that one was a Victoria, it was, um, yeah, Victoria married, the German or the Austrian uh, king, right? And brought him over yeah, right. and then he became king of England? I think so, yeah. Something like that. I'm horrible at that stuff. I'm, my, my memory's a fucking shot, man. <laughs> Too many beer bong hits, man. <laughs> over the years. You only know from candy and horror movies. Right, right. Yeah, that's all I know anymore. <laughs> every time I, all I, everything, I'm like Homer Simpson. Every time I learn something new, it just pushes old shit right out of my brain. It's like every time I read a book or watch a movie, I'm just like, well, there's another one that I lost because it pushed an old one out of my brain. That's why there's so many movies I watch. And I'm like, I swear I've seen this before, but I don't remember it. And I know I've seen it. Do you think they're going to do a, uh, a sequel to Willy's Wonderland? God, where I, the channel, I still haven't seen it yet, if you can believe that. There's just so much shit to watch. But um, where he, where they do sort of like a, an analog and a parody of Willy Walker's uh, Chocolate Factory, and then that's like his next destination, and he works for a candy company. <laughs> I actually have a, lo- a a big theory that the uh, that my wife put into my head that I actually agree with. It was her theory. I just ad- adapted it or adopted it rather, is that Mandy, the movie Mandy and the movie Willy's Wonderland are actually linked and that Nick Nick Cage's character in the movie is the same character. Well, they look very similar. I know that. Yeah. But I'll get into that on another day. Maybe we'll do that. Maybe that is a without warning episode at some point. We'll do like film th- conspiracy film theories. theories or something. Conspiracy yeah. theories and movies that aren't connected, but like the whole Willy Wonka and Snowpiercer thing. I don't know if you've heard that. that. The way that they put it forward was very convincing. Yeah. And it makes sense. It does make sense. Uh, but digressions, digressions again. Uh, digressions. Yeah. Well, anyway, Talon frees himself. We're pretty much towards the end of the movie here. Talon frees himself. I, I just made a note here. All fucking hell breaks loose on the side of Talon freeing one, <laughs> ha- one hand 
from his his crucifixion. Not even both hands at this point. But you not know, even the his other, feet too, right? Yeah, because the other king shows up and cuts the ropes that are holding his feet, and he's like, he's like, yeah, I knew it was you, and it's just like. <laughs> like you knew it was him then why didn't you help him beforehand just let him fucking stay there state for an hour and a half you know like, okay that's fine <laughs> you know asshole. you red-handed <laughs> now this is the point where this is the biggest uh su- suspension of disbelief bozo no-no as i call it like he's got these silver dollar sized hand holes in his hands right you know, the, the spikes in his hands weren't just like Sistine Penny nails, man. They were like... They're like ingots. Yeah, yeah. They were like railroad spikes. So he's got these holes the size of like 50 cent pieces or silver dollars in his hand. And then he's just swinging swords around and fist fighting and cold cocking people. <laughs> like, it ain't nothing. And he's a bad... He's either uh, a sorcerer himself or he's just plain-ass bad motherfucker. I think it might be a little bit of both. I mean, it's like, bitch, have you not seen Desperado? I mean, <laughs> that ought to tell you right there. Or maybe like, um, he somehow is like, avail him of thy duct tape and thy whiskey. And then he pulls like a quint or like a uh, gecko. Oh, yeah, like, like from Dust of Dawn. Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, he's licking, a, he's licking Alana's feet, and it just gets crazy. Oh, ew, ew. Well, well they, already had people, <laughs> they already had people sucking on uh, demon fingers. I mean, why not suck on toes? I mean, why not? I mean, why, I mean, why discriminate? It's like, Estelle, yes. It's like, how do you feel about the taste of KY jelly? He's like, I'm great with it. It's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, are you are you kidding me? I, I used to be in John Waters films. Like, oh, gotcha. All right, I know Divine, motherfucker. It's it's all good. We drink this shit for breakfast. That's what we but call yeah, when a, you have a like KY a, shooter. When, oh my god, when you uh, when you have a banquet table, much like the Rocketeer, much like Robin Hood. Like you always have stuff to do if you if you have a banquet hall and a medieval castle of some kind. Uh, so yeah, it was yeah. just like jumping, smacking, swords, fists, everything. Were there crossbows in this film? I can't remember. I don't think so. I don't think there was just a crossbow. opportunity. I can see uh, I can see Darius getting a crossbow bolt through the fucking neck. Yeah, he probably. Uh... <laughs> Darius would have got one There would have been no more account Hey what are we doing about the horses Junk right there his <laughs> Get a little yeah. bit of a uh, what, What's that one um, Osterman weekend He gets an Osterman weekend right through the fucking Through the throat Oh, I, yeah, I remember that with fucking uh, yeah, Meg Meg Foster. <laughs> Dude, the whole the whole thing, the whole movie. All I can think about is is Rucker Hauer running around as one of these fucking mercenaries somewhere. It just seemed like it was perfect. He would have been perfect in there. He, he was in Osterman Weekend. He was the star of Osterman Weekend. No, I'm no no. I'm talking about oh in, oh. 
in, in this, in, in, the, this. in oh, the background. Yeah, right, right, right. No, he was doing flesh and blood at the time. Because, I mean, it, all these guys, like, run together. Like, you can kind of see some of the sets from this that kind of resemble Beastmasters, like, down in the catacombs of the pyramids and stuff. And you can kind of see a little bit of Deathstalker cave action on, like, Tomb Island, and you can see other things. So it makes me wonder sometimes if some of these guys may have, like, plagiarized, like, built set things. Because, like, every once in a great while, I'm like, oh, man, that looks like, that totally looks like the that arch from that. I wonder how often that happens. Oh, I bet back in those days it happened all the fucking time. Did you see anything about, um, you know, filmed on location and blank blank? I, I, uh, I don't think I think I caught that. Um, I know it was filmed like in part in California. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look it up here while we're talking. I knew it. it uh, let's see here, film locations. Bronson Canyon in Griffith Park, California, Riverside, California. Holy it shit. All, it was all in California. Dude, I can't believe they used Griffith Griffith Park and that wasn't like really super noticeable. I think he did a great job hiding that stuff. I do know at one point they got some exterior shots of a legit castle that they used as like, you know, stock footage. But um, I'm trying to remember where in the hell it was. Well, I have to oh. admit, if, if the stock footage castle I was looking at for a deer or whatever it was, it kind of reminded me of like a Morocco or something. This one says it was the Elian Donan, Donan Castle in Dorney, Scotland. Oh, shit. Yeah, that was it seems like it was kind of off. Um, it was off brand a little bit. It looked like not necessarily like an onion, you know what I mean? Like nothing like that, but it sort of looked that's interesting that it was a Scotland. It makes me wonder if yeah. if there were settlers that came over and they took some architecture with them from elsewhere because if somebody would have asked me and like I was on Jeopardy, I never would have said Scotland for that that design. Yeah, I don't know. It I don't want to know why they would did, didn't just go and shoot at a fucking castle instead of you know, I guess filming in California must have been a hell of a lot fucking uh, must have been a lot, lot cheaper at the time, I guess. Well, I mean, obviously, uh, he he was good with budget because, um, I mean, the stuff they were doing, just the stuff they would have had to have built alone, especially if you're talking about just like California and stuff. Like you said, they weren't in the British Isles. They wouldn't have had a whole lot of stone edifices and shit to, to mess around with unless they were using like some missions and stuff here and there. But. I would have thought that, that that money was insanely well used. Yeah, for a $4 million budget, uh, they spent it very fucking well, I think. Very well. And then, especially if you look at his, like, his later work, like Cyborg, that was all just like wreckage outside and like interiors that you could make out of any warehouse. So maybe he was just known as a guy who could sort of shit and get, and he knew what he. Do you know if there was any crew that was like following him around on productions and stuff? Like, were there was there anyone who went on to bigger and better things? Um, I don't have a whole lot of information on the crew for this movie. I know this 
this was his first movie. So it, as he put it, when he made this film, he was a babe in the woods. So he was very... Oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, for a debut film, I think that it is awesome. Especially since it seems like he knew his level. It, it wasn't as if he started out with like some kind of drama. He went genre first. And especially like... Um, do you think that it's possible that they were like, okay, Albert, Conan is fucking huge. We want to cash in on this. We've, you know, we got these two guys who have been starting a script, you know, if you want to film it, and maybe he made some polishes and shit, and then that's what they, because it, it seems weird to me that Conan came out, and then all of a sudden there was a gigantic explosion. Well, it was the same thing. It happened so much in the early 80s. I mean, when Mad Max came out, there was a plethora of fucking Warriors of the Wasteland, motherfucker. Yep, yep. Endgame, you know, movies like that. Wheels of Terror. Not Wheels of Terror. uh, What am I thinking? Um, Wheels of Time. Uh, Battle Truck. Battle Truck. There's Battle Truck. um, God, no. Was, uh, was, uh, was Damnation Alley during that? I think Damnation Alley was in the 70s. Oh. Wasn't that in the 70s, or am I wrong? I don't know. I mean, I guess it could have been 81. Sometimes when it comes to, like, the 70s, that little bridge right at the end of the 70s to the 80s, sometimes it's difficult to gauge that. Yeah, it says here Damnation Alley, 1977. So that would have been, too shit, I'd have been one year old. God, I'm an old fart. Wait, are you older <laughs> than me? I was born January 12th, 1977. Are you older than me? Yeah, I was born June 76. Oh, shit. Fucking wild, man. Yeah, beat you by six months, man. <laughs> yeah, but that means that we were we were chewing the same dirt, though. We yeah, would have had much. HBO. We would have had HBO, Cinemax. We would have had... Did you have uh, video stores in your area where you would get that little paper disc off the hook? And take it up to the front desk. Oh uh, no! Well, we would always we would always have the uh, the little little case that we'd have to bring up the empty case, and then they'd have to go in the back and like find the movie. Yeah, yours was far in advance of ours. <laughs> uh, I I think that they, or at least maybe there was more uh, trust or something. But that's some. I, I guess it makes me wonder now. Just in like a little bit of a nostalgic, melancholic thing. It makes me wonder if there's anything that is going to have like a relative feeling, a cultural feeling like that to the kids of today. You know, no, I don't think there will be because one, theaters are going by the wayside. People are going to the theaters a lot less. And the idea of renting anything in a video store is just gone. Everybody's just like, oh, did you catch this on Netflix? Which I'm glad to have streaming services because it makes so many things readily available. But I miss, like, going to the to the fucking video store. Everybody always talks about how Friday nights were lit at Blockbuster. Not oh, my God, that. dude. So did you, ever, did you ever work at one? No, I never worked at a video store. I worked at a drive-in. I drive worked at once. several. Oh, that's awesome, though. But I, I worked at several movie stores, and they ain't bullshit, man. It was insane. And it wasn't even... Because I always felt like Blockbuster was the most corporate of all. Yeah, they were. It was so regulated. Like, um, it wasn't exactly the Wild West, but I worked at Movie Gallery, and it was a lot more guerrilla than... Uh, 
than Blockbuster. But we did have like quotas and stuff. But I could actually, even though I was a little peon guy, like I wasn't even an assistant manager, and I could make moves that would bring in movies that I wanted to see into the store. So yeah, I I, I, I wish I had worked at a video store. I I feel like I missed my calling in that way. But you know, the night was, that was uh, always lit to me was Tuesday nights because I was at our video store. It was called Movie Madness, and there was another one called Valley Video that was down the street. But they both had Tuesday dollar nights, and that's a nice oh. dollar rentals, man. Well, that's it's, it's, it's insane. It is. It's def. There aren't many things that you can say like as a 21st century guy where you're like, I was around when this happened, and it was a gigantic cultural thing that happened all over everywhere, and now it will never happen again. And that is when a movie would premiere as a new release. It oh, would you, honestly have people coming in at night, and you'd sell out every time. I remember calling a video store, the video store uh, called Take One Video, and a little town I used to live in uh, called Valparaiso. And when we used to go to, before I would like, I would used to ride my bike down there because it was like six blocks away. But instead of riding my bike half the time, I would just call it and be like, "It's like I remember calling and bothering them." every day for like a month asking because i knew in this particular month halloween four was going to come out and i was calling every day <laughs> halloween four out yet and they were just like finally at the point they knew who i was they're like no cam it's not out yet it's not coming out for weeks oh the next day. <laughs> how, how cute is that <laughs> like, yeah awesome. it's like they know there's a little nerdy fucking chubby kid on his bike that would come down here and try, always try to go into the the adult room <laughs> And try to peek in and be like, hey, what's in this room? Now that's adults only. Well, I feel like an adult. <laughs> I just, uh, it, it kind of makes me sad because um, even Redbox, like, can't even, I think it's because it's that whole allure of the physical uh, when you have, because, like, there's no doubt about it. And I talked to, to about this to, like, movie buff friends of mine, all kind of stuff. And it's pretty much universal across the board. Everybody likes the amount and the scope of things that you can see due to streaming, but there's nothing quite like putting something in the deck. And I don't think there ever will be. I, I think that there's a connection that you get because it's sort of like getting up to change the, the channel on your TV. Like you're making a commitment, even in the smallest way, you don't want to get up and have to have put something in the deck. If you're not going to watch it from beginning to end, whereas with streaming, you can stop midstream and fucking do the dishes. And it's just, you can stop it, change to a different thing, like right in the middle of it. There's no value. Right. Yeah. When you can just pause something and, and click it off and go like make a meal, to, you know, and everything, there's, there's no commitment at all. Really? I mean, if they made streaming, uh, uh, for instance, it was that Pluto. I think it's Pluto. Pluto. Yeah. Where like when you turn it on and tune in, in some cases, you have to tune in at a certain time. There's like almost unlimited shit that's there, but you have to see it when it's on. The idea of seeing something when it's on, that is, it's almost foreign now. It's almost like completely uh, disappeared now. The fact that you would have to tune in at a certain time to, to catch something. Well, I mean, back in the day, if you missed it, 
you you fucking missed it if you weren't home you didn't get you weren't home at 7 30 at night to catch you know or nine o'clock at night to watch the og night court you didn't get to watch that episode of night court I was talking to Richard Bouchamp, good friend of mine, uh, the author of Black Tongue and Other Anomalies. Check it out anywhere you can find it. Um, I, I was, it just kind of occurred to me, and it's, of course, like all my epiphanies and stuff, it's like the most uh, common, easiest thing ever. But to me, it's like, oh, my God. I was just thinking about what must it have been like to have been in 1942 and go to a film and think that you're never going to see that again, unless you go while it's yeah, there. You've seen it once. You're never going to see that again. You're going to see it once, and you're never going to see it again. When people went to see Gone with the Wind, they would have thought that they were going to see it for the first time and for the last time, and they may not ever get to see it again. Can you imagine the value of that? I think people value that shit a lot more back then. Oh my now, god! Now, like you said, it's just it's lost these days. Yeah. It, it, there's and of course like dude there have been so many things that we wouldn't have been privy to if that hadn't have changed but it just makes you wonder like if there's some person in an old folks home right now thinking about the time that they saw london after midnight in its entirety right yeah yeah like before when it was lost, lost fucking time. Yeah. and the only I mean, place it exists anymore is in their memories it's just it's it's astounding like you were talking about mel brooks being 90 something like how old would you have had to have been to have seen that i think there are people that are still alive that could have seen that in the theater there might be might be i can't remember when london after because i was thinking that was i was thinking that was right at the end of the silent era i think he was he was just about to bridge the gap to talkies for that london after midnight came out in 1927 so that's something that you that all uh, all listeners to Cinema Degeneration can expect. We can go from the Sword and the Sorcerer <laughs> to London, to after, London midnight. after Midnight. I saw something about Haxon the other day. I saw an article about Haxon, and I was like, "Damn, man, people are getting elite with it." <laughs> I don't know why they were talking about it now. I mean, but it's weird. Like, I think that the horror renaissance that we're going through right now. I think it allows people to have it be Halloween all the time, like we've always wanted, because um, last year I was just looking around and I discovered that uh, tomorrow night I'm taking Mel. We're going to Indianapolis and we are seeing the original Karloff Frankenstein projected with a new score or a score uh, done by a live orchestra. We're going to be with the Indianapolis, I think it's the Indianapolis uh, either chamber or the, I don't know if it's the Philharmonic, but it's, I think it might be the Indianapolis Chamber Orchestra playing a new score over watching Frankenstein. Dude, that sounds fucking amazing. Oh, dude, choice <laughs> as fuck. I saw it last year and I was like, oh, 
Yes. Like, I totally, I bought the tickets, like, almost eight months ahead of time. Because <laughs> I was thinking, this might be the, I mean, this might be the absolute only. So, I guess for me, like, some, in a weird-ass roundabout way, in a circle, that's going to be, when's the next time that's ever going to happen, what I just said? You never know. No, no. That could never know. happen again. So it, that's going to hold so much value. the first time and only time you get to see it like that. Yeah. So, because um, they had that Dracula with the Philip Glass, like, Kronos Quartet score, uh, which was interesting. I'm not so sure that it was, like, mind-blowingly great or anything. But no matter what, this is going to be something, because I'm not even sure that Melanie's even been in the presence of an orchestra while, while it's playing. Well, because it was like a... Something, a it was like a couple of years ago, like a year before the pandemic hit, we got to see a live uh, screening of Suspiria with Goblin in attendance doing the live soundtrack. Oh, that, my God. And that was like in an intimate little setting, an intimate little club where we were like, you know, I mean, it was like a hundred and some people, but it was so fucking intense. It was just like you could feel the electricity in that place. You know what I mean? If that makes any sense, Good like God. like your hair, every hair was standing up on that. And that's what you got to do, man. You got to like because the sword and the sorcerer. Slightly back to back to slightly back to the to what the original topic. Slightly back to the original concept, <laughs> but I but I think that it can go along with that because this is something that people would remember, and they would remember from being a kid, and they might have seen it just on a lark where you're going around and you're picking out something just due to the cover. So you see this like fantastic cover it had and you might, as a kid, you may never thought you thought it. Cause I mean, who would have known that a sword and a sorcerer would even be talked about today. So I think it's the same thing. Like you having that goblin experience, that is something that you are never going to forget. Oh, no. I'm sure that I'm never going to forget this tomorrow night. So I think it's really important for people to try to remember, like I've been trying to take much, uh, much fewer photographs. Like when we go places and do things, I've been trying to take much fewer photographs because I want to, I guess it's sort of like uh, Dr. Jones or uh, Henry Jones senior in Alaska crusade. Mm-hmm. You, you write it down in your notebook. So you don't have to remember. I, I don't want to write it down. So I have to remember because you kind of want to have real memories without having to have a reminder of a constant, uh, just constant things that, that are there that will remind you and you'll never forget because it's constantly in your face. So you never think to remember yourself and then you don't end up having any damn memories. Yeah. And then like, if like some people that like go to a concert, for instance, and tape the whole thing through their phone, it's like, but you're n- never looking at the concert. You're looking at it through the lens, you know, the, your, your camera lens. Or you're looking at it through, you know, your, your phone. And it's just like, what you, you went there for the experience. What are you doing just looking through your little three-and-a-half-inch screen? When the, If you just lowered it and put your phone down, it's completely right there in front of you. And, dude, I <laughs> – this is so crazy. This is so crazy. I just had a thought. And it's making me wonder, uh, keep this in the back of your head if it, if it ever gets proven. But I met a person that had aphantasia. I think I might have told you about this. They have aphantasia, which I had never heard about until last year. 
and it's people who don't have a mind's eye mm-hmm. or they can't imagine things. Right, I've been right. meeting more and more people that have that. And I wonder if that's a byproduct. Oh, without a doubt. I would say without a doubt. So what if like not five generations every time, but you know, oh God, I what don't if, know. But if five generations from now, people have so many photos on their phone that they don't have to remember a damn thing and they don't have to uh, visualize anything at all. So everyone will have aphantasia. Uh, it's just like now, like you used to, I mean, back in the day, you would have to remember a phone number and write it down and have a little phone book. Now it's just like, oh, you just press a button next to the person's name and you don't, I mean, I, I, I'm guilty of it. I, I can only remember about three phone numbers off the top of my head. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. So I mean that that's the importance of uh that's the importance of movies like Sword and the Sorcerer. You never know when you're gonna come across a gem like this. And I think it that's exactly what it is. I think it's a gem. I think that I think so uh, too. Anyone who watches The Witcher can look at this and realize that it's nowhere near as sophisticated. But you see DNA. Yeah, yeah. There's DNA. I had a big conversation with uh, a writer uh, yesterday about like the idea of trope and homage and stuff and sort of like cliche and different elements that kind of repeat themselves. I do think that some of that shit is primal. So like if you, if you see something back in the beginning, if it, if it has the same tone and it does like copy it exactly, but it sort of has, it has like a same echo of the thing. This is full of it. Like with the Errol Flynn stuff and you have a little bit of Han Solo in here over there and you have like, with the the monster you know, coming you got out, the, you got the hero's journey, so to speak, going on too, as well, which is like as old as time itself. Yeah, and as, especially since this one is almost a truncated. It's almost as if you took. The beginning of the hero's journey the end of the hero's journey and then you put the middle of it sort of at the end and have it experienced by different people like it's really odd the way i you know we've been talking about it being sort of um complex and almost like overly complicated and all that kind of stuff but i almost think that in some ways it's kind of like novel the way they've done it where this guy comes home but he's not seeking his legacy he's just there kind of on a lark he wasn't even there to like reclaim his fucking birthright. He couldn't yeah. give two shits about his fucking birthright anymore. Yeah, I mean, when uh, Micah puts on the crown at the end and just kind of looks up at him, he's just he, he doesn't look, you know, troubled by any of that at all. He's just like, oh yeah, yeah, that's my birthright, but he can have it. I got I a night. He, with, I got a night with his sister. I'm good. 
I think that Talon is sort of the he's almost the epitome of devil may care almost. Oh yeah. Cause, he, but, he but I think that sometimes devil may care means that you're like, uh, haphazard. You like, don't quite care or you like, uh, you don't have a plan or you don't have a reason. Like, I think that with him, it's more like he's a total hedonist. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I does mean, he have, a, does he have honor? Like, that's a question. Like it's hard to say. I I think that uh, I think people underestimate this movie, and I think that I think if you go in looking to have fun, I think you'll have fun. But I think that you'll be surprised at how much heart it has. That you'll be oh, surprised yeah. at how much how much quality it's got. If you're looking for like a day where you can just have something on while you're doing the dishes, this is not the one. I, I definitely no, pay attention no, no. to this whenever I watch it. You you got to pay attention, otherwise you're going to be lost. You're going to be lost because you're going to miss so much important <laughs> shit. Wait, crucified? What? He was just in the tavern. What the fuck happened? Oh my god! <laughs> he was beating up a guy with a turkey leg five seconds ago. <laughs> oh my god! Macchiato got his head torn apart by the sorcerer. Wait, that's the same guy? What the fuck? Like I, I left to grab a bag of Cheetos for fuck's sake. What do you mean he, Macchiato uh, and fucking kingdoms are one and one are one and lost because of that? I told you that story, didn't I? No. When my mom went in, when my mom went in during the blizzard to have me and my sister, they didn't even know. They thought it was just her because they couldn't come around for like sonograms as much because like everything was all caked over with snow. Like it was dangerous to go if she didn't have to. So when they got there, my sister was born all pink and fat and happy. And my dad was like, finally, I can go get something to fucking eat. He goes downstairs and it's weird that he said Cheetos. He went downstairs in the elevator, came back up with a bag of Cheetos, and there I was. Shriveled, <laughs> blue, blue, shriveled, and half dead. And nobody oh, said, kill it before it grows. So three days later, I dwarfed my sister. They're like, <laughs> oh, shit, what have we done? What have we wrought? <laughs> it honestly seems like I'm making all this shit. I swear to God, it's all true. Oh, I believe you, because you can make up a story like that. That's fucked so up. So can, Cheetos can move the world. So. It, can, it can make or break you. Holy shit. <laughs> Holy fuck. I, I never would have thought an off-the-cuff uh, Cheetos reference would uh, bring out a story <laughs> like that, but that's fucking pretty cool. Like, hey, bitch, crunchy, not puff. You get the puff, <laughs> you got to get the, the, uh, the Grippos uh, Puffcorn Delights or Mike Sells. If you're getting Cheetos, got to be the crunchy. You can't fuck around. Yeah, you don't fuck around, man. We don't fuck around with my, my fucking Cheetos, man. <laughs> Oh, shit. On that note, I think we need to stick a pin in this one. <laughs> They're going to be oh, like, shit. you know, we were, we were listening to that uh, Sword and Source, and all of a sudden they went on this big nostalgia trip, and it was like real philosophical and shit, and then somehow they brought it back around to incest, and then they were back like back in the saddle again. Oh, fuck it. Back in the saddle oh, no. and Cheetos. <laughs> <laughs> they, they're they'll never, ever going to be able to say that our shows aren't eclectic. Never. Yeah, and, and apparently, uh, apparently they like the tangential stuff. They're like, you know, bring Corey back. Makes no fucking sense whatsoever. <laughs> if you try to map the tree of the eager still on this fucking, it doesn't make any sense at all. So, no, it 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 shouldn't work. What we do shouldn't shouldn't work. But when we do shows together, it makes big numbers. So, you know, I, <laughs> hey, I'm willing to <laughs> I'm willing to throw caution to the wind. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> 
the risk uh, is worth the reward. Exactly. We got to take Talon's uh, fucking point of view and philosophy about it. Just go, just go on an adventure. You never know what, what you know, what's holes in your hands, holes in your hands, using a turkey leg as a weapon. Fuck it. And having sex with what could possibly be your sister and not giving a shit. That's crazy. That's crazy. Anyway, that being said, <laughs> you know how we usually do things around here. Guests go first, and we do final summary of thoughts on this movie and a rating on a scale from 1 to 10. Uh, I would have to say that I I think that I came to it slightly later than most of the... I had definitely watched um, Conan... And especially Beastmaster. For some reason, Beastmaster was real big in my childhood. Um, so I came to Sword and Sorcerer a little bit later. But I but I do believe that it sort of had somehow a weird, uh, like a more in-depth sensibility than a lot of those other things. I think that even Beastmaster could devolve into B-movie like real super easily. And... People refer to this as a B movie, and I, I disagree. I think that, I think it's an A movie on a B movie budget. Yeah. And I think yeah. that when people give it a shot, and they give a fuck about it, I think that it gives a fuck back. I think that when you watch it, you realize that it's not serious, but people took it seriously, and that's probably why it made a fuck ton. Because you know, I, uh, I heard somebody say that. If you adjust for the amount of budget, it actually made either as much or slightly more than Conan the Barbarian, relatively. Yeah, yeah. So, so obviously people fucking liked it, uh, and they should because I, like I said, for the goofiness, I think it it does go in giving a fuck about the material, even though it seems like large swaths are missing. I would recommend this to everyone. Uh, it isn't perfect. There are things about the story. I think that the story is the only thing that I would tinker with and sort of, you know, make things a bit more clear and, and, you know, logical in some cases, especially when it comes to like what people's drives and desires are and what they stand to gain. Like that, that's kind of the cloudiest part of all of it. Um, so by that reckoning, I think I'd probably give it something like an, uh, an eight plus 8.5, something like that. It's pretty good. You're not coming into it much higher than me. I'm giving it an even eight, you know, but uh, for pretty much the same reasons you are. And actually, I looked up uh, the gross in the U.S. In the U.S. and Canada for Conan the Barbarian was thirty nine and a half million. And this made thirty six or thirty seven. Now, gross worldwide for Conan was almost 70, but still like it. It wasn't trailing too damn far behind. And is yeah, every, I mean, that's, that's very comparable. Yeah. And the fact that this took so long to get a sequel that, uh, from what I hear, is not very good. And it's got Kevin Servo. I'm not with it. I'm not a Servo fan, you know, but. You know, yeah. I think that you're talking about, I think you're talking about the cybernetic uh, representation of that guy. Did you say Sorbo or Servo? Oh, I'm, I might have said Servo. I, I meant Servo. <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm seeing this Christian actor robot. It's like, I was Hercules. Get out of my way, you sinner. It's like, okay. <laughs> my name Are you is on Tom Mystery Servo. Science Theater 3000? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah there you go. <laughs> yeah. We're on the same page. 
<laughs> we needed we needed more uh, you know talent in, in this in this in this world, and instead we got a sequel in 2010. You know, with fucking <laughs> with got instead of Lee Horsley, we got Kevin Sorbo. I would much rather see another movie with Lee Horsley. Uh, one last thing: if you were to have an armory of like the 80s special weapons. You mentioned the glaive and you mentioned this. Uh, what else would, if you were to name three more, like, can you think of three more of the 80s uh, sort of swords of sorcery weapons that would go in that armory? Because uh, the, the, I don't know if it had a, I don't know if it had a name, but I was thinking of that weird blade boomerang that they had in, in, uh, in uh, Beastmaster that he actually rarely used, but it was bad as fuck. Yeah, I, I would use that. I mean, I can't think of unique weapon, uh, unique weapons other than you know, like Conan's Atlantean sword, which I, is not really like a unique weapon. It's just another sword, but it's just fucking super cool looking. But did they um, call? Didn't they call the lance and Dragon Slayer Dragon Slayer? I think so. I think so too. I haven't, I haven't seen that in about four or five years, so I can't remember. But I think you're right. I'd have to. It's think just about weird that. to think of. It's weird to think of Janos Poha being the fucking protagonist in there. <laughs> oh, Janos. <laughs> I ran Vigo. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> you pay you you're but ants before him. Vigo? Where where did you go, Vigo? <laughs> <laughs> oh, on that note, I'm gonna say we're done for the night because I start breaking up impressions of Janos from Ghostbusters 2. You know I'm fucking loopy from lack of sleep. Holy yeah. shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, hey, Corey, I'm going to call you up. We're doing Sword and Sorcerer. We can probably get a good, I don't know, hour 15 out of it. Four hours later. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, uh, folks, you have been listening to us ramble on about a multitude of topics going on from uh, Sword and the Sorcery to... Impressions of uh, Janos from uh, Ghostbusters 2 and talking about che- Cheetos and waxing, <laughs> waxing, legacy. Yeah, waxing philosophical about the good old glory days of, you know, movies like the London After Midnight and rental video stores and drive-ins and stuff. But this show was originally about Sword and the Sorcery. Or Sword and the, Sor- <laughs> Sword and the Sorcerer. <laughs> hey, I don't think that we missed us. I don't think we missed anything. No, so, so the only go. thing I had a note on that I, we didn't touch on was the fact that there was a a flood of rats during the sewer sequence, but that was about it. Uh, other than that, I think I oh, talked shit. about everything. <laughs> That's all right. We we can save a whole other show just about the rats. There you go. <laughs> but that being said, folks, I want to thank you uh, for listening in at home and and your patronage for listening to all these Albert Pion episodes we've been doing all month long. Uh, I have been your host, Cameron Scott. This has been my co-host, Corey Dawson, and we bid you a fond farewell, and thank you, as always, for listening.